little birds better lock up tight Cause there's a foul all on the prowl tonight Hey, little lock, get out of the dark Welcome to Best Picture Cast. I'm your host, Kieran B. I completed my goal of watching every Oscar Best Picture winner ever and decided to start a podcast to review each one, each episode, myself and revolving co-hosts will discuss, assess, and evaluate a different Best Picture winner with the goal to establish a ranking for the entire list. This is not a who should have won podcast. We're here to discuss the inner circle of movies who took home the crown in their respective years. As a disclaimer, this is an opinion-based podcast, a subjective discussion by movie enthusiasts who don't claim to be trained experts. If we destroy your favorite movie or praise a movie that you think is trash, we encourage you to write us in at our email, which is bestpicturepodcast at yahoo.com. If you want to reach us on any of our social media accounts, be it Twitter, be it Instagram, be it Facebook, wherever, we are at Best Picture Cast, just so the podcast sounds, at Best Picture Cast. Give us a rating, give us a review, reach out to us, let us know what you think. If you have a movie lover you know, friend or foe, pass it along. We're always looking for new listeners. And we are back to conclude our fourth season of the podcast. Yes, four seasons going to be in the books after today. We are all excited and we are discussing a movie that you, the people, selected to be the final movie of the season. We had a poll of, I believe, 12 different movies, and we narrowed it down to four, and this is the one that you selected, In the Heat of the Night from 1967, starring Sidney Poitier and Rod Steiger. Can't wait to talk about it. And we are ending season four with the same gentleman that we began it with. And one of those gentlemen right here is Artie B. Artie B. Wow, that was a long time ago. Yeah, it was a very long time ago. Actually, I think it was over a year ago at this point. In Ooh. fact, it was over a year ago at this point. I think it was hotter recording that episode indoors <laughs> than it is recording this episode outdoors. Yes, we are, in fact, in the heat of the night here on uh, Long Island, New York. And uh, it's right around Fourth of July time. And, you know, it's, it's just passed. It was last week. But we've done uh, three different episodes now at, at this time of year. Our, our first Fourth of July episode, we recorded uh, The Sound of Music, me, you, and Joey R., and then last year was uh, the second episode of the season, The Deer Hunter. So here we are, over a year later, concluding season four. A long and winding season. Has Joe B. been on an episode since Deer Hunter? I think he's still hungover. He's still too hungover. <laughs> um, and as I said, the other gentleman who began season one with us is Jay Dowski. Jay, welcome back. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's always... Great to have your sultry tones here with uh, joining the podcast. We last heard you on Terminator, I believe. That's correct. Yeah, it was a good one. You were there for Parasite, too. So you've been busy and active this season. Catching getting, the mix. Yeah, getting a lot of innings in here. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly right. And 
guess what? Because you voted in in the heat of the night, you unlocked a new character here at Best Picture Cast. (laughs) (laughs) We are debuting a new co-host here. He is uh, um, someone I've known quite a while now for a good friend of mine. And we've we've always talked about getting him on the podcast. And I think one of the movies we talked about getting you on was In the Heat of the Night. And when this was voted in, I had to call you out of the... uh, Call you out of the pulpit, activate you on the roster here. And he is AJ. AJ, welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm appreciative beyond belief. And uh, yeah, we've talked about this for a long time, so I'm super excited. Yeah, and AJ, you were uh, someone who's uh, been in the industry and knows the uh, the tribulations of being a black actor and, and dealing with Hollywood. And you've actually lived out there and, and spent some time out there. So I'm super excited to get some of your insights on the industry and, and um, your uh, something you started with at a very early age with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when I was a young kid. So I can't wait to talk about it. And thank you for having me again. So I appreciate it to work with you guys. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, AJ, you're uh, going to fit right in around here. We uh, <laughs> we have a little fun. We get a little wild. But uh, we also talk film. And I know you're super passionate about film. So you're uh, an, an easy guy to have in the mix here. Okay. Now uh, the four of us are here. I'll do just a, a couple of uh, brief items of, of house cleaning here. This is the end of a season. And for our loyal listeners, you know that at the end of the season... We rank the 15 movies that we discussed throughout the season. And this season, as we said, it's lasted over a year. So we have to really uh, freshen up on some of these. Artie, I think you're just going to do your own little um, little film festival with uh, uh, season four, huh? Yeah. I'm going to go on a retreat and watch <laughs> the like 30 hours of movies I have to catch up on to be on this rankings episode that's in like a month. You and Chris yeah. G, G, like isolate yourselves from society and just binge 40s and 50s and 60s movies. I always did my best work cramming, so. <laughs> that rankings episode will be coming your way soon. It will be with what we like to call uh, the, the original five here with uh, myself, Artie B, Chris G, and Joey R, all the uh, and Grant character And Grant C, of course. That's the group chat. That. Yes, yeah, that's right. The first five episodes of BPC. Well, I guess it would be the first four episodes of BBC because I'm the fifth. Yes, so we will have that rankings episode coming your way with all the uh, hilarity and uh, heated debate that goes into that. We always grow a little closer, but our friendships uh, uh, fracture a bit as the, through, through the process. Yeah. I've, I've seen permanent <laughs> repercussions from certain movie debates that have lasted into today. Are we yeah. going to make it through all best pictures? <laughs> <laughs> We're, yeah, we'll see. We're, hey, with the end of the season, we are now at 60. This is episode 60. So how many more? More to go. Cast. That number will change as we move further through the uh, the annals of time. But as of I think as it lasts, there's 95. Is that right, AJ? Probably gonna end around 98. Best picture winners. Yeah, probably maybe around 98. Three more years. Keep chugging Oof. along. We'll have to figure years. out what we, Three more years. What we do from there, we'll have to figure what it an out. Amazing so. track. Oh my god. <laughs> now those 50 movies. I'm sorry, those 60 movies. Now that we've covered, uh, we've also have upward of 15 specialty honorary episodes. And you, uh, you have even some, some worst picture cast episodes out there from Joey and, and Grant bringing your way. So it's really close to 100 movies we've covered. So you could use Best Picture Cast as your watch list. If you don't know what to watch, pick any one of those 100 movies, pop it on, and then listen to BPC as a little companion piece to that. And you can hear us, uh, all us clowns over here, giving our, giving our thoughts and, and words on this. WP Worst Picture Cast is like the upside down of Best Picture Cast. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Now, I, I've spent uh, an episode over there. Artie, I believe you have too. Jay, have you been called yes. into action yet in Worst Picture Cast? No, nah, I'm still waiting for the call. <laughs> I think Steve B. got a, got the call today and he got very nervous. He's like, what, what does this mean? What does this entail? Said, you know, I was more nervous for Samurai Cop episodes than, than any of these movies we've covered. 
All right, so let's uh, let's get into this one here. AJ, I'm going to start with you, my friend. Uh, what was when did you first see this movie? What was your first familiarity with this movie? When did this movie kind of come across your desk? So actually, uh, I've it's funny. So uh, acting background and whatnot, I had familiarity with this movie, but I had not watched it until my actually sec- sophomore year of college. Mm-hmm. So um, that was a big important thing for me. I was doing actually a scene from a show, and um, one of my uh, acting directors, coaches, or teachers, as you can say, uh, recommended this movie to me for me to watch, and um, I fell in love with it right mm-hmm. then and there. Um, the significance for me, especially as a black actor, as you discussed beforehand, was important to me, and I kind of wanted to see how it trickled down the effect. You know, the Denzels and the Morgan Freemans mm-hmm. and whatever. And where did it really start for me? And Sydney Portier, like, that was the high pinnacle for me. Had such appreciation for it. Glad I got to rewatch it again because I missed so many things. Now maybe getting a little older and. Uh, how relevant it can be for today. Mm-hmm. So um, I appreciate that the most. So that's why yeah. I'm super excited to be on the show. Cool. Because uh, it was important to me. So Now, was that your first Sidney Poitier movie? Yeah. yeah. First one. Yeah. 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 Cool. yeah, it was for yeah. me too. Already familiarity with this film at all coming into this thing. I start. I push play knowing literally nothing about this movie. Oh, that's always fun. Nothing. You could have been a sci-fi movie. It could have been a horror movie. <laughs> nothing. Sounded like a romance, passion movie in the heat of the night. Literally knew nothing. Wow. Then I, I, I went on Pluto to watch it, and I saw the movie cover, and I was like, what the hell is this? So I sent it to Kier, and I'm like, is this it? Because then there's like a TV show down there, too. It looks like a buddy cop yeah, thing. Yeah, you got to be like, careful with that. I was like, what? Am I in the right area? So I just watched it for the first time uh, today, and I, I loved it. Yeah, well, we okay. We got a lot to talk about here. The cards are out on the table early here. I love it. Uh, Jay, how about you? I saw the movie about 15 years ago, and I remember thinking it was good. And now, having rewatched it several times in the last week, um, just a completely different experience. Um, even better mm-hmm. than good. <laughs> this one for me. So I think Jay, Jay, and AJ, we're probably on a similar timeline. I mean, AJ, you're a little younger than me, so so. Um, but I, I saw this. Right out of college, so I would have been probably 22, 23. A lot of in watching a lot, I, you know, AJ, you know, I'm watching a lot of these best picture winners one after another at that time because I'm trying to go through the list and, and check them off. And then over the years, then I kind of watched them more scattered, but this was in the bulk when I'm kind of going one after another. And just one of the things that always stood out to me about the movie was just how watchable it was. Like it was, there was no like, standing around for three hours trying to find someone someone lost in the woods or there's not like it is it, it is to the point and it was fully entertaining and into it and I very much watched it like that you know like kind of like you would a mystery or an action then about four years ago maybe about a year before we started the podcast I was like you know in the heat of the night was one that I remembered really liking but I don't remember it at all like I don't remember what I liked about it like I, I remember Sydney party was great and other than then, and that it was it was a great like kind of plot line and great story, but I don't remember anything else. So I just popped it on, and was like, "Whoa, this is way better than I had given it credit for when I was 22." Boy, and Jay, you kind of said it, took the words out of my mouth. Watching it, really getting into it now, even just four years later, uh, there's a lot to talk about here, and there's a lot of nuance to this to this thing. So I'm I'm very excited here to, to get into this. Uh, I think I th- I've guys. watched it three times in the last five days. Like you said, you could just rewatch this every day over and over. The pacing is incredible. Incredible, yeah. I said to Jay right before the episode, I'm really excited for this episode because this is one of those movies that a lot of people don't really know, mm. and they should know. Cause yeah. Because it, it's really good. 100% agree. 100% yeah. Agree. 
it's in the vein of Lost Weekend and Amadeus, these movies that people might have heard of, maybe even not even heard of. Well, even at the time, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of movies that were going up for the Best Picture uh, nomination at that time, and it, there were some fucking powerhouses. Yeah, this is a big year, by the way. Yeah, no, we no, this is we curse. Curse. All right, I just want to make friend, sure, ladies rip, and gentlemen, yeah. I'm just letting you know. You let bad. it rip. You unlocked a whole new, a whole <laughs> new, a whole new guest starring. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I think maybe if people know it, they probably know it as a Sydney Poitier vehicle. Uh, but you know, Jay, you and I uh, at the wonderful Cinema Arts Center, we went and saw Doctor Zhivago, the Correct. David Lean film. I mean, I was a little nervous going into that one because I rem- that's another one I saw around the same time as this one many many years ago, and just remembered kind of liking it, but knowing it was really slow and kind of a movie that most people aren't going to like. And I've heard over the years people are like, oh, Zhivago, jeez, put me to sleep. And we saw it on the big screen at a full theater viewing. And I think we were both really blown away by that. And we walked out of that saying, God damn, the best part of that movie was Rod fucking Steiger. (laughs) That's true. And the Rod Steiger element of this one was something this time around that totally took me, uh, wrapped me up and took me under with it. You know, in in my buffoonery, I only knew knew Rod Steiger from his, from like, or 2000, I think he's, he does a couple of movies in 2000, At late 90s, right? Yeah. He and, passed um, in 2002, so... Right. Yeah. Um, yesterday, July 9th. Um, it's my brother's 2002. birthday. Oh, well. Right, so then we watched Dr. Shivago, and me and you were like, holy shit, this guy's like... Steals blow. the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I'm like, okay, I gotta go back and watch some more Rod Steiger. I'm like writing down all his movies, and I'm yeah. trying to get his whole uh, catalog down. Plenty of talk about Sydney. Why don't you talk about Rod Steiger? And we're, we're covering a new director, too, that we haven't discussed yet, Norm, Norman Jewison. So there's a lot to talk about with him, too. Any other thoughts we got to get out there before we really get into this this deep dive here? No, I'm ready to get into it. All right. AG, are you ready for this uh, this dive here? This is your first uh, plunge into the depths. I'm super excited, and I uh, can't wait to talk uh, movies with you guys. So. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, right before we do that plunge, I am going to kick it around the table and ask you guys uh, what you're drinking. Nardi, I know this is one of your favorite segments, so I'm going to start with you. <sighs> well... Looks like I'm putting the uh, A A B and A B V again. The R D V and A B V. You know, if you've listened to the pod before and heard me introduce this beer at the beginning, chances are you've heard me at the end, or you haven't heard me at the end because I've edited you out. And that right. right. Sometimes so, you just do a vanishing act in the end. Well, here we go. We've upgraded. It's a six point resin double IPA, nine point one percent. However. This is a tall boy. Oh, boy. That was a double fake out. Uh, you know, in, in a mystery movie where you have to have a lot of twists, you did a double fit. You started six point. They're like, they were going to think, oh, 6.7, 6.5. That's not so bad. But no, I, six points the name of the brewery. I did what the movie does, a slow curtain lift. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's a tall boy. Double swerve. <laughs> boom, boom. Um, oh, boy. Okay. Well, Artie is, uh, is locked, uh, rocked and ready to go. And uh, AJ, first timer here. What did you uh, bring to the mix? Well, I'm not as cool as Artie. Uh, sorry for the tall boy. I wish I knew. Uh, no, but I'm drinking actually Hoptical Illusion by, mm. uh, from Blue Point. And uh, it's a, bill, a beer that I'm familiar with. So uh, I love it. I love the taste. And uh, yeah, hopefully it keeps me going through the night. <laughs> so, <laughs> through the heat of the night. In the yeah. heat of the night. It's a yeah. hot heat. night, so we're going to drink fast. Yeah. Yeah. It's a balmy <laughs> night here on Long Island. Yeah, we're run out uh, real quick. Yeah. <laughs> a great Long Island brewery there, Blue yeah. Point, too. One of our bigger ones out here. And uh, a good IPA from them. The Hoptical Illusion. That's one of the IPAs that got me into IPAs. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, nice. yeah. It's got a little bit of a fruitier taste, so it was easier to get to. Yeah. And just the straight hoppier ones. And now here I am. Drinking Six Point. 
double IPA. <laughs> I do like resin, though. It's really good. Yeah, it's very good. Jay, what did uh, a little bit of the softer side of well, things? Well, <laughs> well, if you're gonna follow Artie, it's best not to try to top him, but go the exact opposite direction. I'm going with a cola in a glass bottle because that's one of the things that sticks out in my mind after watching this film. A lot of drinking of soft drinks in glass bottles. Mm. Now I have a question. Yeah. Back then, was, did Coca-Cola was high fructose corn syrup a thing, or was it just really refreshing? Like a nice, refreshing summer drink. Because I can't imagine just drinking soda all day on a hot day. Yeah, you and get that nice cold it. glass bottle? That's yeah, what you I did. Think, yeah. Co- really? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I thought, I feel like it'd be like more like a seltzer back then. Just like a sugary seltzer. Well, there was like cocaine in it, but aside from that. <laughs> <laughs> they might have changed the formula around the way there somewhere. But nothing more refreshing than a classic Coke on a hot summer day. I'll tell you, when I had my landscaping job, the best drink on a, on a hot day was a canned Sunkist. Mmm. Well, that's a way can. more corn syrup than a, than a Coca-Cola. No, that's corn syrup. More sugar. No, no, Coke's worse. I mean, if we're, if we're talking like six, poison. It's six of one, half dozen of the other here. It's the same shit. The only thing that's not so bad is Sprite. If you drive by, you might find Artie naked drinking out of his uh, canned... Uh, <laughs> um, stay tuned. Pouring like, Sunkist <laughs> on my chest. Yeah, boy. The you bees. Know, just like, uh, yeah, Dolores I, I'll Purdy. tell you, you have a root beer over there. Jay, and to me, a root beer is a nice, refreshing, hot summer day drink. So I, I would, could see a root beer. I, I, I don't kind of know where you're going a little bit there with the, like a like You're a sitting Coca-Cola. on a beach drinking Coke all day? Like, ugh. Well, no. I mean, listen, I don't think you should ever have more than like a couple anyway on any <laughs> couple, type of day. Yeah, it's, they're not, you know, they're not meant to be drank in bulk. You give yourself diabetes in one sitting. Is it um, me or is it my is root beer is the most popular? I mean, I, when I was growing up, I mean, I, I never was a big root beer fan, but I feel like a lot of my friends drank root beer. Like, am I missing out on like yeah, yeah. Root beer right oh, great. You really, you skipped it in the youth. People always were like, people were like, oh, <laughs> the A and W versus Barks debate. I like oh, yeah. them both. Yeah, but they're both good. Throw a mug in there too. Mug's mug good too. Uh, your what, dentist what, what was probably a lot beer? happier than uh, oh, your friends because the root beer is quite a bit of. Quite a bit of sugar there. But yeah, I've always loved a good root beer. But I was never a, a huge soda drinker in general. Okay. My grandpa drank several root beers a day. His kidneys failed. Oh, jeez. <laughs> jeez. Oh, well. That's what old people do. Cheers to Artie's grandpa. Cheers, Poppy. <laughs> Cheers. Yes. Um, I here today have, uh, I mean, I always look a good excuse to uh, have one of my favorites here. But I know Jay always... Wants me to tie it in here. So I have the Montauk Watermelon Session Ale. And we had a, a big sign there that said uh, ice cold watermelon mm-hmm. on that hot summer day. And I saw that and was like, I be the first thing I'd be ordering there is, yeah. uh, is a nice uh, ice cold watermelon right. there. Especially yeah, when nice. they have it like on the ice. Like have you ever had one like like out of an ice cooler or something like that? Really oh, sounds stuff, great. You know? But it is a great session ale, the Montauk Watermelon Session Ale. Any excuse, um, Kieran, to drink the watermelon. It really is, yeah. It's like, uh, you know, it's in like the, the heat of winter, and I'm like, oh, watermelon starts with a W, and winter starts with a W, so we're having a watermelon ale. Uh, yes, but it is uh, already matching your ABV with a 4.9, so more of a host-friendly uh, ABB. Sure, sure. Do you consider the uh, watermelon session to be the most popular Montauk? beer choice uh that is a good question so it that's a little tricky because it is it's somewhat seasonal i mean i think you can get your hands on it 
year round, but it's harder to find in the in the fall and the winter. So being that it's not there all year, I guess it loses a little bit. But I would say that probably the Wave Chaser would be the most popular, but I, the Wave Chaser I'm not too big on. Surf beer is going to, I'm not big on Wave Chaser anymore. Uh, yeah. Surf beer is going to overtake it, I think. Everyone I know loves the surf beer. What kind of beer is that? It's just like a light golden ale. Kind of oh, like yeah. a Kona Big Wave. Talk makes it. Yeah. My, all my friends love it. They think it's their favorite. It's like water. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. had it on tap for like a few we days. For a hot it second. Went it went really fast. fast. Yeah. Yeah, because you were drinking it all. I didn't drink it. <laughs> no, it's too, it's too low in ABV. It doesn't have enough alcohol. Well, well that's why it disappeared right? so quick. I drank oh, it was there. I drank it in between my regular beers. <laughs> All right. Well, I have the, uh, yes, the Montauk Watermelon Session Ale. And, uh, okay, I think it is time to get after it here. And we take the plunge. <laughs> we getting after it. Back to 1967. That was the other thing when this movie started. I couldn't tell. I was like, is this the 80s? Is it the 70s? Like, what is this? Oh, no, it was the 60s. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's funny that you say that, actually. I thought originally it was in the 80s myself. And then when I read it, I was like, oh, good God. Yeah, it is it, in the it, heat. Yeah. Like, like, in the real yeah. heat. <laughs> yeah. In the heat of the country, yeah. <laughs> like, Okay. Good luck, Sydney. <laughs> 1967 is the year in the heat of the night is the movie, and the U.S. president was Lyndon B. Johnson. LBJ's stint in the Oval Office was marked in a watershed time period in American history. During his presidency, an American political landscape transformed significantly as white Southerners who were once staunch Democrats became moving to the Republican Party, and black voters began moving to the Democratic Party. So, like, in the 60s, it was flip-flopped. Didn't Did the that. parties change their ideologies or something, and that's what happened? Or I'm not good with this stuff, so I don't, I don't know. But uh, this was AJ all news to me lot. today. AJ, what do you got? <laughs> I read fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, in addition to civil rights movements, well, Frodo. L- in addition to civil rights movements, LBJ was also presiding over the Cold War and the Vietnam War simultaneously. So he had his hands full uh, a touch. I'm not going to ask you about any of that, though. Uh, I am going to ask you, however, what does the B stand for in LBJ? Do we know? I the, think I think Jay I knows do. already. So Jay, well, Jay will hold back on that. I think I um, do. Um, AJ, any guesses on what the B in LBJ stands for? Bonafide? Oh uh, no! Uh, <laughs> Bonafide. Lyndon Bonafide Johnson. Uh, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> B- big me. Steve. Big. <laughs> <laughs> Show me big. <laughs> I'm gonna take a guess. I actually do not know this, which is pitiful, but. Uh, I'm going to say Brendan. Okay. He's putting Brendan in there. Uh, no. I think, isn't it just a letter B? It is not. That would be Harry S. Truman. Oh. Uh, good. You know, you, you, you I unlocked some sort of closet. Harry in S. Truman you know that, is Harry S. Truman. You, yes. His middle name is just yeah. S. Well, I knew one of these presidents is a fucking acronym. Jake, what do you have for us? Lyndon Baines Johnson. Lyndon Baines Johnson. Yes. is in Harold Baines. Yes. Uh, Lyndon Baines. <laughs> Less Johnson. RBIs as Harold. Yes. But... <laughs> Still and, great achievement. Not in the Hall of Fame. Harold Baines <laughs> is, though. Uh, okay, so uh, the 1967 World Series, as we transition to baseball, oh, so smoothly. We started season four with the New York Yankees, the team who won the most World Series in history, taking home that 1962 championship. That was our Lawrence of Arabia episode, which both of you gentlemen were on here, Artie and Jay. We'll end season four with the team that's won the second most World Series championships, taking home the crown. That Let's would be the... St. Louis Cardinals. St. Louis Cardinals. There we go. Leading the witness. Something Yankee fans can celebrate, though, is that the St. Louis Cardinals took out the Boston Red Sox in seven games to win their franchise's eighth world title. This was their second in four years, and uh, this World Series marked the first World Series in nearly 20 years that did not feature 
the Yankees, Dodgers, or Giants. So there was a whole lot of New York love there uh, for that that 22 decades of time period. And I think it was 19 years, and then we got this one. So, Do we cover 69 Mets yet? What movie was that? Uh, no, we have not. That would be Midnight Cowboy. We haven't oh. done that one yet. So. Ooh, a raunchy one. Uh, I don't think we've got 86. And... Good God. What? <laughs> it's raunchy, isn't it? <laughs> what? It is. It's it is the only. It is the only best picture rated X. So, yeah. yeah. See what I'm saying here? LBJ. <laughs> Uh, for all their crying over the years, this isn't a World Series that the Red Sox fans bring up all that often, uh, which is odd being that it was a Game 7 loss. The Cardinals went up three games to one before Boston rattled off two wins to force a Game 7. The Carl Yastrzemski-led Red Sox, nicknamed the Impossible Dream. I love when individual teams like give themselves nicknames. Like It's like mm. the 67 Red Sox are the Impossible Dream. The Miracle Mets. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So that name came to fruition as the Cardinals took took a 4-0 lead in the top of the fifth and never looked back, winning the decisive game 7-2 in the friendly confines of Fenway Park, which I just went to for the first time this uh, this month. Fenway Park. What did you think? Yeah. I, loved, I, mean, I loved it. It was yeah, fantastic. It's I know historic. Reagan on the How Red big Sox is the Green Monster? It's, uh, you know, the, the the Green Monster is impressive, but I'll tell you what, the park itself is crazy small. Like, it's like you can't tell on TV. TV makes it look so much bigger than it is. You, you get there, and it's like you're in someone's backyard, you know? It, and it's it's such a, um, it is like stepping into a time warp. It's just like stadiums aren't built like that anymore. One second you're on a city block, just like it's Manhattan or, or Chicago or wherever. The next block, boom, there's Fenway Park. Then there's those seats, you know that app seat like seat view. It shows you a view from a stadium. There's one seat that's like close in right field, but it's like two dollars because there's a giant <laughs> steel beam in front of you and you can't see anything. You literally can't see there's... the view is the the view on seat view is just a steel beam and that's it. Yeah, I, I think there's another seat where like your back is the home plate. Yeah. Like you're just like you're just like staring off at the sky. <laughs> you have to turn more than ninety degrees. Yeah. To and say... I think uh, I think our own Chris G actually sat in that seat too because you bring up Fenway, he's like, ah, fucking Fenway Park, you can't see shit. The place is over already. Gets very angry. Yeah, guy hates baseball and goes to the place you need to love baseball the most to appreciate. With an obstructive view. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, the Cardinals were managed by Red Show and Dice. Uh, AJ's like, he's still going on about this? This is, this is what we do here. Um, this is one of the three and a half hour episodes. We talk about the movie for like 30 to 35 minutes. Uh, it's funny. You can hear like the the beginning of season four. Like AJ's laughing over there. Uh, in the beginning of season four, like the first couple episodes, Grant is like, Grant Z is like really trying to be a good trooper. He's like asking me a couple questions. But by like episode 14, he's just sitting there with a, with a puss on his face like, shut the fuck up already. I can't take this anymore. The Cardinals were managed by Red Show and Dice. Series MVP was Hall of Fame pitcher Bob Gibson. Other Hall of Famers for the Cardinals include Lou Rock, Orlando Cepeda, and Steve Carlton. The number one Billboard song oh, of 1967. Yeah. Super relevant to the film we're covering today because it's from another Sidney Poitier movie. It's To Sir With Love. AJ, have you seen To Sir With Love? Absolutely not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he plays a, a teacher. It's kind of like a... Um, it's like stand and deliver type <laughs> of deal, say. yeah. Um, James, who yes. sings it? it? Yes, thank you, Artie. It's to, to Sir with Love by Lulu, which I don't know much about Lulu. To Sir with Love. Um, other tracks from 1967 include "I'm a Believer" by the Monkees, "Happy <sighs> Together" by the Turtles. That monkey song sucks. Oh, here he goes. He's got Artie's getting that. Wait, where's it called again? No, I'm a believer. Oh, I'm a believer. I love that song. Great song. 
I yeah. can't believe you. Yeah. Just wait till he gets wait. going, DJ. Come oh, <laughs> on, man. Yes, thank you. Yeah, wait, till the mu- wait till the music podcast here and I start. Some, I can't wait. Some listeners call this the Artie Get Off My Lawn segment where he just oh, takes down Clint beloved. Uh, yeah, 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 he takes down beloved. Uh, the rolling, movie, the rolling Stones. Grand was a great movie. It is. It's underrated. It's got yeah. some very poor performances, but it's good. We'll talk uh, about that another for time. another. <laughs> yes, yes. Happy together by the Turtles. Does that animal band uh, pass your test there? Yeah, they want to be the Beach Boys in that song, but aside from that, they're, they're pretty good. <laughs> oh boy, uh, I'm a believer as a Neil so Diamond. So how is the weather? It. So what does that have to do with anything? That's just a lyric that rhymes with the last line. <laughs> Here he goes. He's getting hot. Uh, <laughs> all right. It's- Heating up. I don't think you're going to talk smack about this one here. This is a beloved song. <laughs> Respect by Aretha Franklin. Respect. Yeah. Respect. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, AJ's like, I will smack yeah. your ass. I got nothing to say about that. God bless. Thank you, Artie. That's a great oh, song. God. That's a uh, really great song. Now we're going to turn it right back around. Light My Fire by The Doors. Uh, I don't hey, it's everyone. That bad. It's everyone, not that bad. It's not that bad. Everyone needs music to go to sleep to, you know? Like, <laughs> oh, my God. Artie's not a Doors guy. Not a Doors guy. Not a Doors guy. Oh. Yeah. You know what I do when that song comes on? I go into Uber and give all my past drivers reviews. That's like what I spend my time on during the... <laughs> Not listening to the That's song. Psychotic. And the but, Ubers uh, look at you and they're like, "Yo, yeah. can you pull over?" And like, they just kick you out. I just so much like, money Why anymore. Is this guy from four months ago giving me five stars right now. Because <laughs> like, oh, my God, fire. The, the doors must be on. Because like, my fire came on. Uh, and then uh, finally, we have a song that we started our season with uh, in our second episode, Deer Hunter. Frankie Valley's "Can't Take My Eyes Off of You." That Amazing. Song's- too good and Lauren Hill does a great cover of that. Uh, that's true, that's dude, true. Yeah. it's almost as good as the original. It might yeah. even be better. Fantastic. So, yeah. Wait, Kieran, no guess um, the meaning of the country song? Uh, no, no, not at the, only in the sh- honorary episode. Sorry, oh, really? Yes, yeah. that's the honorary oh, man. episode. You're just on all those, so you think that's it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's the only one I'm on. <laughs> so In the Heat of the Night is directed by Norman Jewison. Screenplay by Sterling Siliphant. Based on a novel by John Ball, music by the great Quincy Jones, who also did uh, music for The Color Purple in Cold Blood and The Wiz. Didn't Sin- he do music for Michael Jackson? Uh, cool. Everyone. Michael yeah. Jackson, Frank Sinatra. Yeah. yeah a, a true legend. He's yeah. a complete legend. I think he's I, a Diane Warren. Of if, I, if I read yeah. correctly, he's the most Grammy-nominated human being ever. Is that right? Wow. Yeah. Nominated for several Amen. Oscars. I think upward of like eight, but never won one. That's a damn shame. Him and him and Diane Quincy? Warren, just Quincy. Quincy yeah. has never won, never won an Oscar. That's that's yeah. like when you hear Diane. Asinine. Yeah, yeah. Yep. same thing when you hear Diane Warren song yep. she wrote and she never won. You're like, you got to be kidding me. Mm-hmm. She wrote like eight classics. Cinematography by Haskell Wexler, who we talked about in our One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest episode. He uh, shot that one. Also shot Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and Bound for Glory, another Best Picture nominated he, film. What a, a list. He's a sharp, sharp cinematographer. Yep. Very sharp, very sharp-looking movie here. Sharp, sharp script, sharp acting, sharp picture, everything. Film editing by Hal Ashby, production design by Rob Gross. In the Heat of the Night is starring Sidney Poitier, Rod Steiger, Warren Oates, Larry Gates, and Lee Grant, nominated for seven Oscars. It was the winner of five, including Best Picture, Best Lead Actor, Rod Steiger, Best Adapted Screenplay, Sterling Silphony, Best Sound, and Best Film Editing. Also nominated for, but did not win, Best Director, Norman Jewison, and Best Sound Effects. Interesting nomination yeah, right. there. It is not on the IMDb 250. Uh, it was not on the original AFI 100 list in 1998, but it did wow. appear on the updated 10th anniversary list. Well-deserved, by the way. Oh, yes. If I read correctly, the, um, the fam- famous movie lines is... 
Oh, I'm sure number, that's number on there. Yes. Number 16 on the AFI. We'll, uh, well, we'll deserve two. Yeah. AJ, all, you want to give our, a... You mean all of our quote of the movie? Give us, a, uh, <laughs> give us a, an impression here. They call me Mr. Tapes. Yes. Wonderful. We love good impressions on uh, oh, yes. BTC. Always, yeah. Well, Sydney so has yeah. such a distinct voice. His voice is so unique. <laughs> it really is. The gravitas that he brings to the it's, actual movie, and then like he just has like this soft-spoken... like. He 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 like so he has like the demeanor of a theater actor. Oh, I can see that. Yeah, but but he doesn't project the way a theater actor would. He he adapted to film very well. Yeah, I, absolutely, absolutely. Because he really restrains yeah. the Denzel comparison you made before is like that's Denzel's just yeah basing his life off Sidney Poitier. Yeah, uh, even number yeah. seventy five there in that one was actually an odd number believe it or not uh 75 on the afi 100 list uh, it was shot at a 2.6 million dollar budget which was about half of what an average film would receive at that time about half a budget they were not too sure about this one when it came out i wasn't sure people would be uh rushing to the theaters to get it i heard the accountant had to do some uh some creative accounting to, to make it convince work. united artists that this would be a profitable movie because they were not going to release it in the south like mm. originally, they eventually released it everywhere. But I wonder what maybe they're spending the money on um, the acting contracts because it's not like there's a lot of special effects or uh, I don't think they built a town. If I'm correct. Oh they, no, they, they no they, they shot, shot in Sparta, all Illinois. Shot on yeah. location. Yeah. So they don't Sparta, even have Illinois. to change the name of the hardware store, right. or the police department. So I wonder right. where that money went into. Maybe yeah. the music. Well, I, they were saying <laughs> that it would have it would have been talent, Ray right? Charles, all the talent, the talent. On it. yeah. They're saying it would have been much more expensive to shoot on a Hollywood lot. So actually, location helped them out in this. Uh, and this was a lot of, uh, a lot of kind of just grab cameras and go kind of stuff. Similar to how Rain Man was, where it's just like we're going on a road trip. We're going to get what we can get. Let's let's do it. Let's uh, let's make it happen. Well, it wasn't even problematic for Sidney Poitier. He was discussing about how shooting on like those locations. It was he had to carry a gun. Yeah, it absolutely was. He refused to yeah. to go south of the Mason Dixon line. Yeah, because uh, he had yeah. an incident. I think on his uh, previous uh, shoot down south with with the with the clan. So yeah, he was not looking to do that and he didn't even want to go to Tennessee. Uh, so he, Norman Jewison had to really, uh, really convince him because they wanted that, they wanted that shot of the cotton fields, that, that great shot there of him. And it, Amazing it, shot. All there. the yeah. big shots in this are great. I love the, I love the shot of the guy running across the bridge, but the camera's like a mile oh, away yeah. and it slow zooms. Such a creative shot for 1985. I like that. I like the, <laughs> <laughs> I like the shot of the cotton going into the machine. Immediately told us what that route he was just holding up was. Right, right. Like you could tell right away, and then oh, so good. It was yeah, saying so a lot good. with that. I had that shot specifically written down too, Jay. I'm on to you, Jay. I know your uh, I know your tricks over there. <laughs> Jay, Jay, always, Jay always really isolates the true best parts of yeah. the movie that we all have notes about. He's like, all his notes are those notes. Why we keep him around around here, you know? Yeah, he's say? the resident author. But I like that we're all in sync about how like amazing that moment was. Like that's that's yeah. poetic to me. Like I appreciated that. So it's great. Yeah. It was a powerful shot. Mm. And the Ray Charles kicking in. We hear the Ray Charles in the beginning, but having him kick back in there. I'm not always the biggest fan of reusing songs throughout the movie, but this is an example of where it's done properly. Mm. Because it's a very moody song too. So so this film I watched on my uh, brand new Criterion Blu-ray. 4K. It was an unbelievable restoration. I mean, I really was like, uh, I mean, it blew me away. I, I, when I when I put it in the heat of the night, I was not expecting to see something visually stunning. You know, because I, I thought it was more story acting driven. But the way they made this, they brought this thing back to life, and this restoration was like, 
oh man, just like a like a velvety look to it. It was. Uh, uh, I might have really to check great. that out. My Pluto edition was all right. Ah <laughs> uh, yes, yes, good old Pluto. That's um, a great. I comment. did Apple Plus. You did the old Apple TV? It. Yeah, 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 I did. Good I that. Yeah. <laughs> and then apparently YouTube had it on for free. Oh, they have that one too. Yeah. They have oh, uh, with the ads. Yeah, <laughs> we did Pluto. We got gotcha. you. Yeah. yeah, you can watch last week's episode of Patton on YouTube free with the ads. I think it'll come in around four and a half hours. Yeah, way. and you know they really pick great ads that line up with the movie. You know, in the heat of the night, and then it's like, oh, now Drew Barrymore is playing a Candy Crush game in a coffee <laughs> lot in California. I'm like, can we go back to the movie, please? Speaking about the time range and all that, so the novel came out a little bit before the movie. And it Obviously, it actually right? yeah but but, yeah, but not by but, like a year yeah no but enough time where it became quickly dated because around this time we're dealing with a lot of social justice demonstrations and the world is as we put it in or as they put it as Brooks put it in um, in Shawshank Redemption <laughs> it's going up and getting itself in a hurry there's a lot changing rapidly so a lot of elements of the book became really d- dated City Party's character uh, Mr Tibbs is very docile and very non-confrontational and not speaking up against a lot of the um, adversity he's facing in the South. And they wanted this movie to be more of a, a, a demonstrated character. So the the scriptwriter, Sterling uh, Sylvany, really had to make a lot of maneuvers here in this thing and, and make this more relevant, more uh, of a, a, an updated, uh, or, or more really more real, you know, and more about what was going on in the country at the time and what is, frankly, still going on in the country at the time. So in doing that, they really put a script out there that is just man it just holds the test of time i mean what can i say i it 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 finds the the right places to be subtle it finds the right places to make statements and it is the furthest thing from dated it's the furthest thing from preachy it's the furthest thing from um standing up on the pedestal and force feeding some sort of message it is just real the docile, the docile acting, I thought was a choice. Well, but- just to clarify, just to clarify, my point is, is that the character in the book was very, very docile, like not what you see in the movie. Oh. He was, he was not, he was not standing up for himself. He was getting pushed around. He was trying to solve this thing with everything going on and not, not holding his ground. The slap and back in the greenhouse is not in the novel. Not in the book. Right. Wasn't in the script either. Well, that's right. debated, and it is debated, but from the director's mouth and he admits that he doesn't fully remember but how he thinks it happened was is that it was Sidney Poitier's ad-libbed move and they had to then put it in the script in order for it to be socially acceptable in quotes at that time so like at that time for for an audience to see a black man slapping a white man like that the audience not the characters in the movie like the actual audience that was a shocking thing they hadn't seen before so that in itself was like whoa so if it had come out that he ad-libbed that then there would have been sort of uproars within the industry which is wild to think about i love how the camera they leave the room after that slap and then he's crying alone it's the best yeah Yeah. so good but to your point kieran these it is so real these movies from like the 60s and 70s just are totally different they're like time capsuled in like these this realism and this grittiness it almost feels like documentary style these mm. 60s and 70s films and they don't hammer anything over the head you have to pay attention to every line or you could get lost because nothing's obvious it's almost like someone just drops a camera on a on a, on a natural event unfolding and you're just there to experience it I and love i feel that way like that. in yeah. mo- with most of these movies from the 60s and 70s yeah aj what, are, what are some of your thoughts on that 
I think it's a bold choice. I mean, at the time too, I think um, I agree with everything you guys are saying and it's just really remarkable to have like, especially with everything that was happening prior with the Civil Rights Act. That was uh, just a couple of years before that. And um, how impactful, like, I mean, each moment, each scene, each shot, I was just outstanding. But like, it was outstanding to see and witness like how they were able to pull this off. And you're right, it's not like they're cutting it, like they're not trying to be like, this is what's happening. Like, yeah. Look at this, like look at this. No, it was actually like just showing realism, like showing what's really taking place. Like this is a real thing that's happening in yeah. life right now. And the relevancy that happens today, like it's still there. It's it's apparent. And I like that. It wasn't yeah, it wasn't over the top or whatever. It was very Yeah, no one's telling you minute. how to feel in this one. It's it's yeah. this is happening. How do you yeah. feel? I thought yeah. the character that best exemplified that realism was um Chief Gillespie. Oh, hundred percent. Because he's He's back and forth. He's uh, he's all over. He's he is morally lost in this movie. Yeah. But also tightly wound. Like he, yeah. you know, he's. There's a lot to talk about with him, and I want to get to him. But I want to I want to dig into Sidney Poitier's character. AJ, um, general thoughts on Poitier's performance, some of the decisions he makes, how how he portrays the character. I think he is phenomenal. Um, I didn't realize, and this is just something maybe you guys knew about this. I didn't know he was not nominated for this film. Mm. Um, that actually shocked me. Yeah. Um, but I will give credit uh, where credit is due because I think Steiger, after rewatching this again, I realized why he got nominated. Mm. And it changed my opinion on a lot of things, even though I think Poitier is still phenomenal. I think them together in each scene, toe to toe. Yeah. You have yeah. Um, these two people, like, and, and how the nuances and how they can, like, even though they're going against each other, there's such a relatability a little bit in the sense of like how they communicate with certain things and just like how they grow at the end and even that final shot when he's telling him he's looking at City Point and going on that, on that train. I was like, wow, I'm good. Yeah. Like, yeah. And there's no circle. big... That smile. Yeah. yeah. And there's yeah. no big Green Book hug. Yeah. There's yeah. no like Christmas party. <laughs> they're not going to each other's house for Christmas. Yeah. Like it was, yeah. it, it was, it was perfectly real and subtle and enough. It was and, the story of a man gaining yeah. respect right. for another man yeah. regardless of everything else. Yeah. Ultimately. When we get yeah. deeper into Steiger, I have a great quote from Rod Steiger about the character that, that, that blew me away. Please, because I definitely want to talk about him yeah. a lot because I, um, I didn't give enough credit um, yeah. initially when I watched it. We're going to have a, a, a greater talk about that Oscar year with the Twitter questions. There was a bunch of people chiming in on that. And I initially had thought that he was up to, I thought he won for this. I didn't realize when, you know, as I was watching this, I mean, I knew by now, but like years ago when I rewatched this, uh, before we even started the podcast, I assumed that he had won and like, oh, he won for Lilies in the Field. Like, I didn't make that connection. But It's funny. We were all had the same exact reaction. Yeah. I watched this knowing nothing. And then after, I'm like, oh, let me pull up the IMDb. I assumed they were dual la- lead male actors. Yes. And that Portier won. And then it was like, oh, he wasn't even nominated. But the who the woman, the female was nominated. What, Mrs. Lee Grant? Colbert? Wasn't Lee she Grant. nominated? Oh, I thought there was I an didn't in think this. that. I don't no. believe Lee Oh, okay. Does. No, there wasn't. No. I, I couldn't believe that Poitier was But isn't that. it crazy too that that was the same year that Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and he was and to, to serve I this, this is the only Poitier thing I've ever seen. Oh really? Yeah. Oh yeah. He's phenomenal in that by the way. You should yeah. take a look at that. I'm, I'm very yeah, interested. You, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. It's yeah. Yeah they give it to uh, they give those nominations to Spencer Tracy and Catherine yeah. Hepburn the parents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. terrible. Even though yeah. Catherine Hepburn was really good but yeah. I mean yeah. We'll, have, we'll talk a little more of that. He did win a few years earlier so I don't know maybe they felt that they uh, had rewarded him which is ridiculous. I hate when they do that. Like to me it's like if the, if the, if 
if a person has the best performance six years in a row, give them six Oscars in a row. It should not, there should be no, um, we concur with that. let's even right. things out. Here, and then on the know. flip side, maybe they saw Chicago mm-hmm. and how they didn't nominate Steiger for that. Then well, they were like, well, well go. we got to make up for this, yeah, guys. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it, it's interesting. I want to watch more of his films now because I think he was he's yeah. so good. Well, you made such a good point. I was trying to think of on the way over here, another movie where it's just these two lead acts are going toe-to-toe and and they're both phenomenal and both captivating. And I couldn't really think of when I was trying to do Kramer versus Kramer, but it's Great like, choice. where else yeah. besides that? It's like, this is the, the movie that stands out in my head where these two performances is the entire film for me. That's what makes... Totally. I, I texted Kieran, I couldn't take my eyes off of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Steiger doesn't make a mistake. The entire movie. He's mm. flawless. Everything, every choice he makes is perfect. Like he's And unique. Unique, and I love the style changes. When he's got to be tough, he puts his hands in his pocket and he acts. Yeah. He acts chill, and then when they need him to look tough, he has short sleeves, like chewing well, the gum. Yeah, chewing, well, chewing oh, the gum yeah. the whole thing. He didn't want to do it. He loves the, the idea. Gum. Is it just me though, or, and I, maybe I'm being out of balance on this? But I, I kind of got a level of. Um, so like when Denzel was working with uh, Tom Hanks in Philadelphia, and he really didn't want to do that film. Uh, oh no! I think Tom Hanks like said about like how it was a difficult choice for Denzel to do that film, I guess in a sense or whatever, because of the topic, everything. It could have ruined Denzel's career. I almost felt that for Steiger in a sense of doing this film at know, that time. At that time, and it's kind of what the character was going through in the movie. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. And I have to. I I'm giving his accolades. Like I was like, wow, I'm very impressed. Like impressed. Like you got me so captivated. I want to see more what what you did, like and how your ability is like. It, have he you, actually impressed me more than City Party. That's how crazy I'm about to be outlandish. Yeah, wow. That's how crazy this wow. is. Yeah. Do you know yeah, who it was? Not, it might not be that crazy. You know, you know who it was supposed to be? Who? What? The Wait, role? is that the guy from Mutiny on the Bounty? No. Oh. Wait, no. no really? Oh, he's no. long. No. Probably long no. dead at that no. point. But, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the 80s. Like, yeah. Uh, the 80s. People are going to listening like, it's not the 80s, it's the 60s. Yeah, that's um, what I want. George C. Scott. Was who they wanted. No way. Yeah. So now that would have been something. And we talked last episode how Steiger turned down Patton. So they that could there's a world where those two roles could have been flipped. What's the guy's name from Mutiny on the Bounty? Uh, You're thinking of Charles Lawton. Charles Lawton. He that's he. This is what Steiger, the actor, reminded me of. Like where he dominated every scene he's in. Yeah, he that's really a good compar- commanded I like that. it. I like that comparison. Steiger, I think, was always considered a bit of a wild card, you know. So like he wasn't going to be the guy who was going to turn down anything. Like he's he's like, give it to me, I'll take it, and I'll go right down to the gum chewing. And he didn't want to do the whole gum thing. Like he didn't want any part of it. And and it, you know, Norman Jewison was like, just give it a shot, give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Once he started doing, it, he's like, oh, I can use this as a uh, a device. Like when I'm thinking, I can slow it down. When I'm pissed off, I could get a little faster and kind of then use that as kind of a mechanism to play with. Norman Jewison really kind of was like his moderator through this thing because Poitier was a little nervous about Steiger getting too big because he has a tendency to, he was always known for... He's a method actor, right? If I read correctly. Always kind of known for going over the top a little bit. Are we that talking about Steiger? Steiger. Or we talking about, okay, I just yeah. want to okay. No, and Poitier was like, and there were a couple of scenes they filmed out of sequence and Poitier's like, Norman, what's going on here? This is too much. Like, this yeah. is not what, like, and he goes, no, no, it's out of sequence. It's going to be later. It'll make sense later. You just got it. He's like, all right, just kind of stay on him a little bit, you know? <laughs> and and so th- they kind of had this interesting dynamic where he was kind of like this, the, the coach kind of trying to keep the, the player, you know, from fouling out of the game. You know, he's like, calm down, Rod. You got to bring it down a little bit. You got to bring it down. In, in talking to uh, talking to Steiger and hearing his, his thoughts, like uh, his interviews, He'll, you know, he was always like me and Poitier were, were 
good buddies. We were always close. But they, someone mentioned to him that that Norman Jewison said that he had a tendency to go over the top and get a little big. And this is Steiger's response to that. It was a, a, a boisterous response. Here we go. This is a long, winding quote here, so I'll do my best. Oh, really? Well, tell Mama what they call over the top someday is the reticence of people who express themselves truly in the society that they're living in. I go over every once in a while, I'm sure, but that's all part of exploring the character. You personally identify to the fictitious circumstance that the playwright gives you. I was alone at age 11. I got the idea in my head that Gillespie was a great lonely gunfighter, and Tibbs was a great lonely gunfighter, who happened to be of a different color. When people ask me what Gillespie wanted, he wanted to be left the fuck alone and to chew his gum. But what happens in the picture is extinctual. As these two gunfighters work together, they realize about the other, this guy's pretty much a man, huh? You better take another look at this guy. <laughs> Just a very fun, real kind of perspective right. on the character. And you can tell that he lived this character. Yeah. You know, and, acting, yeah. and that wonderful scene at the end where the two of them in the ap- apartment drinking. Right. Which, you know, to spoil already is my scene of the movie. And one of my <laughs> yeah. favorite scenes in any movie we've covered so far yeah. was largely entirely improv and right. the two of them kind of just sat in and, and lived it and did it. And to me, that scene makes the entire movie. This movie is is 10 tiers better just because of that one scene, because of the character development that's done in 45 seconds or however long yeah. that scene is. I mean, they, they are the yin, the yin to their, the other one's yang, right? We're talking about the mannerisms, Gillespie slouches, hands on the hip, chewing gum sloppy, leaning back, um, speaking loosely, doesn't hold back his words or his temper. And Tibbs is, stands tall, straight, well-dressed in his suit, never blinks, doesn't speak unless he's got something important to say, very stoic. But like the yin-yang, they're two sides of the one whole, which is they're both loners and outsiders in this town. He's the sheriff of the town, but he's an outsider. He's lonely. He's never had people over his house. And he kind of is trying to get this respect from this whole town. He thinks, if I could solve this crime with the help of Tibbs, I could finally get that respect that I've been searching for and Tibbs is saying if I could show them that I'm the guy who could solve this crime then I could get the respect that none of us are getting at this time yeah there is kind of a weird thing with the two of them though is is that maybe they want the respect they also kind of don't give a shit also you know like they just kind of want to he Steiger wants it to be over with and Tibbs wants to get out of town and it's like but there is that tug of war going on inside themselves and and one of the things I had for Steiger is is that he has the level of pride and the level of loneliness. And the two of them just keep tugging back and forth. So he has the pride where he doesn't want any help. Doesn't want any help. Tibbs can go back. Go back to Philadelphia. I don't need you. Tibbs starts to go and he starts to think about having to solve this thing alone. <laughs> yeah. And his loneliness is like, no, 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 pride. We're, we're pulling him back here on this one. Right. And, he and then knows later on when his loneliness it. starts to speak and starts to open up and gets close... And and you know, Sydney kind of has a little moment with him. The pride squashes it and says, "No, we're not doing this. We're just going back. We're going back alone." So I thought um, about that. I think there's three there's three instances in the film where Gillespie gets racial or or displays racism toward Tibbs, and they're when Tibbs emotionally challenges him or, Ooh, that's or intellectually challenges him. He kind of says, "Well, Harvey's a left-hander. You have the wrong guy." And uh, Gillespie says something like. Um, 
Oh, the famous Mr. Tibbs line, right? Yeah, right. In first, front of Mrs. Cobra, right? How dare you tell me I have the wrong guy? So he, so he tries to knock him down by getting racial. So he but, knows it works yeah. in that in that town for most people, but it didn't work exactly. for Mrs. Cobra. So he's trying. Yes. So any, oh, oh, and then in, in your scene of the movie when he says, "Oh, I'm no lonelier than you." Yeah. When now he pities he's, him. Now he, he's hitting him, him emotionally, and and he's kind of feeling vulnerable. He and doesn't want pity. Right. His pride and won't allow. Like, nope. Now I got to get racial again, and it's just like you could. Kind of, I I don't know. I kind of see through it. Like oh, he doesn't yeah. and, because and Sydney fires. Sydney fires off that squint. That like, oh, great squint. Oh yeah. In that scene, yeah. yeah. He's like, "Who's like, this guy? Psyched. We were just yeah. sitting together in this living room, and now all of a sudden you turned on me real quick." It's like I saw it. It was a small moment when he did that. I saw when Sydney saw that. Like, what are you like? Yeah, we were cool. For a yeah, second, yeah, I think yeah, he realized yeah, yeah. what Jay realized. Yeah. He's like, "Oh, you do this when you get attacked a yeah, certain right, way. Right. This oh, is your defense point, mechanism." Yeah. Right. And he kind of sees through it for a second, and he's right. like, "You know what? I'm not going to get bothered by this this yeah. time." Yeah, because I know what you're doing. Right, you've done it like three times. <laughs> yeah, keep doing it. Yeah. He has that emotional intelligence. Also, it's not just the the book smarts and the ability to solve crimes. He he can kind of see that layer. The other factor in this thing too is is the kind of twist on class. Where you have the best dressed guy in the room is Sidney Poitier, and the smartest, and the smartest guy in the room, <laughs> and the well, ed- most well educated, and yeah. the wealthiest. Let's be other than that's the other than the yeah. factory owners. Yeah. But remember, Absolutely. they do that whole spout over how much they make. Yeah, that's what Gillespie finds out how much he makes. He goes, "You make that much up in Philadelphia?" Like he goes, "They pay you one hundred and sixty-two dollars and thirty-nine cents to look at dead bodies. Why can't you look at this one?" He goes, "Why can't you?" He says, "Cause I'm not an expert." <laughs> You know, I want to do. I want to make a comment on this though, because Steiger doesn't give himself enough credit. The first thing he says when he sees the dead body, he goes, "It could be a hitcher, probably a hitcher." And what was the guy it doing? Was a hitcher. He, he yeah. was hitcher. That's a good, that's yeah. a good point, Artie. I didn't. He I didn't instinct. His yeah. instinct was hitcher. Yeah. And he's all now. He's he's in a whirlwind. But he was distracted by Portier's science right. and shit. Well, even he would have never got there without. And even Portier, Portier says he's going after the guy for the wrong reason. It's for personal reasons. Endicott. And uh, so they're both kind of like they're doing it, but they're also driven by their personal. Was that in the book actually originally? Um, uh, I I don't like know. the description of them like being like because I thought like they were more like the way it was presented in the movie like how they were more aloof. Yeah, and they, they're con- right like class eloquent like dressed to the nine even like when you see Steiger like just like kind of unbuttoned shirt or whatnot and yeah. like just like you know. His yellow glasses. Yeah, yeah yellow glasses. I love that like, choice. From what I understand, and, and I didn't read the, the source material, but Tibbs's class was represented that way. He was okay. very wealthy. He was yeah. he was he was dressed affluent, the, best, the smartest and the best yeah. dressed guy okay. in the room. But I don't think the book really leaned into the connection between Gillespie and Tibbs. I don't I think, think your scene of the film was only in the film. It's not in the it's book. Not, oh, it's definitely not in the book. No, it's it's totally which scene improv. are we talking about? The, uh, the, uh, and them in the apartment, Gillespie drinking in the apartment. Tibbs over his own house, and he kind of calls okay. around and says, you're no lonelier. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a lot of the emotion in this movie, like the slapping scene, not in the book, yeah. like that. So I don't know exactly what was and wasn't in the book. I didn't read it, so I don't, I don't want to delve too much into that. But Well, they made the right changes for the screen from the book. Like yeah, They, this is, they this did is, a great job adapting it to the screen. This is a screenplay that should win an Oscar. Well, was it a risk, though, too, kind of? I mean, oh, like show, portraying, portraying these, you know, Caucasians and being like, you know, Kind of dummy buffoonery and it's all that stuff. Risk. Like I was like, wow! But as soon as I was watching it, I realized the time and place. I was like, oh my goodness! Like, yeah, <laughs> are they going to be okay? Like, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I like, is this going to make money? Like, I was yeah, like, well, yeah. That's, <laughs> the only thing working on their side is that they didn't have yeah. much of a budget to play with. Yeah, you know, well, they, which they I just realized. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. they just kind of said, hey, let's yeah. go for it. 
it, there, there were lighting here? innovations made for this movie, right? It uh, was uh, something about it, filming Portier outside. Because of his darker complexion, it, one the, night, the, it was harder to contrast. Um, yeah, the normal lighting would create glares on yeah. African Americans, so they started using yep. this guy basically invented or, or pioneered. Pioneered, yep. This lighting technique for yep. filming African Americans, I think, in outdoor settings specifically. Yeah, there was a ton of like during the day, a ton of let's try to figure this out in this location. We're here, we're there, we're there. We're just yeah. kind of running around filming this thing. You know, like and similar you, to Rocky or similar to a little bit of that in Rain Man too. And you and but they made the right choices, like in Rocky and Rain Man. Mm. You could feel that they 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 chose right the lighting yeah, the in the cell. Gorilla gorilla filming, you know. Yeah, gorilla. Filming. It's actually funny that you say that now because I, I I thought when I was watching the film again. I thought the lighting choices that they were doing originally before I actually read up on that was more like, oh, this purity aspect, this gentleman, like, you know, like this angelic figure, like somebody who's coming in there and it'd be like, not a savior complex or anything like that, but like just like but lighting a, it that like, way. Yeah. And then when I realized like, oh no, like this was lighting choices. Like, right. It yeah. was practicality. <laughs> practicality. Yeah, exactly. That, and then I there were certain that, yeah. rooms they couldn't get the equipment in. So that's why in the cell, he's just got the shadow of yes. the bars on him because yes. they, the, yes. they couldn't fit that Even shit the in scene there. that you said, oh, you said was your favorite scene when they're like literally like it's the, they're in their house and then like the light is shining on City Portier. There's a, it's more of a darker picture-esque thing mm-hmm. that's going on with the chief. Um, yeah, I thought that was beautiful. So I'm, Glad you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. Jay. Yep. Now, anyone who knows me and knows things I like about film, they know I like... Technology. Well, oh, okay, that's right. You're <laughs> yeah, you but I like, I like diner scenes. Oh, I yeah. like oh. bar scenes. Okay. And I like trains, Jay. I like you my trains. Like trains. Yeah, there were no bar scenes in this. We could have used a bar scene somewhere. Well, it didn't work out, but there were diner scenes and there were trains. Yeah. So, and you like a good needle drop and there's a needle and drop in the diner. A good needle drop in, <laughs> in the, the diner, diner with the jukebox, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. Love a diner jukebox. It really gets me fired up. Uh, as, as you started to talk, I wrote a note about my next thing I was going to talk about. It was opening scene. In I mean, the diner. Let's talk about this the opening, opening scene of the diner, scene, This this character working at the diner is is just a scene stealer. The first he, the first guy he sees the killer. He right, and he's killing, he's and he's killing a fly. And the guy's hiding pie from him. They show you the killer. They show he's you the killer killing, killing a, fly. a fly. Start the game. Look, and and yeah. the guy demands to be called officer. Meanwhile, he he goes and arrests a cop, and he's sitting in front of the killer the whole time. Yeah. Like, am I am I throwing this a little out there? But I initially, when I mean, I've already watched the movie before prior. But I was like, man, is this guy flirting with him? Semi like I felt like it was like an initial like. I thought he was crazy. Was I got like, Norman yes. Bates vibes. Yeah, Nor- there was. But, but then I realized he's. Psychopath. <laughs> I was like, oh, this guy's just He's nuts. also trying to kill a fly right. yeah, with yeah, a yeah. rubber band. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like at the end when he's like, I didn't mean to. I just want to hit him on the head and knock him out. It's like, bullshit, you did. I just want, I just rewatched this movie. You killed a fly. Yeah. You fucking teased the guy about the pies. You're yeah. a fucking psychopath. You're doing everything you yeah. can yeah. to be yeah. devious. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I think this actor is just amazing right off the bat. Like, what a character from hit the ground running. Mm. Yeah. The the hiding the pie. <laughs> it's so funny. It's just, and then fun when little... the guy walks out and he eats it, he's like, Ooh, look, I got the pie the whole yeah, time. A fun I, I little get, I, get, thread. I started sweating just watching this scene because you could just feel the humidity. Oh, the guys, yeah. the beads coming off the forehead. That you, like you could see, you could imagine like the fan going around. The flies yeah. everywhere, yeah. the yeah. buzzing. Yeah. Maybe that's why I want for sound effects, the buzzing of the flies. Yeah. And yeah. Shit like uh, there's, hey, it's, a, you know, it's the 80s, you know. We see that. <laughs> like, every 10 seconds we're reminded that he's doing this on purpose, folks. He's doing this on purpose. The moths in that scene where uh, he's uh, confronting the uh, the woman who's running the uh, the underground abortion clinics. Mm-hmm. Moths flying around. And all that's, like, authentic. It's like, we're just, like, no, we're filming out 
on location. This is going to be it. He's like, he's like, it must have been a nightmare for the editor, but we're going to do it. And he's going to, the editor's going to have to figure it out. It's a lot of that goes on here at BBC. Was the rumor also too that they were uh, filming out when it was a little bit chillier sometimes? And they well, were yeah, it wasn't a rumor. Actual... Wasn't oh, a rumor. It was later in the fall, and that's going to show up in the nitpick zone. Oh, uh, yeah, sorry, 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 folks. <laughs> Stay tuned. Stay ice. tuned, folks. They put ice in their mouth. Basically. I have a Grant Z uh, seasonal oh, nitpick, as we call it. So them, the yeah. actors would put ice in their mouth on the night scenes to prevent air from coming oh, out of their wow, mouth because it was supposed to be a hot. Yeah. I know, genius like yeah. filmmaking so technique. Yeah. We can't not talk about the scene, and I, I want to ask Artie, you most specifically, and then I, and AJ, I want your reaction to just the, the scene in general, But because this, you're watching this for the first time, and you don't know these characters, you don't know where it's going, but that first scene in the train station where the police officer finds Sidney Poitier just kind of sitting there waiting for the train. Yeah. What is going on through your head? What's How are you reacting to this? What's... It was phenomenal character development for Sidney Poitier because his response tells you everything. This guy is, he fully, the best thing he could do is not say a word, do everything that guy says, get in the car when he talks to his boss, tell him who he really is. And that's what he did. The, and it was just, he did, he handled it perfectly. The he patience. No reaction. Yeah. He's, he's obviously, you could tell by the way he's dressed and holding a briefcase, he's, he's smarter than this guy would who demands to be called officer. You know, that was another character development scene in the diner. You just got to call me Officer Wood. Like, that yeah. means you're, like, lowly, yeah, basically. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're demanding small respect. Town, Demand me deputy, respect. Deputy in a small town. Uh, AJ, it, watching that scene, and especially now watching in 2023, I mean, it's so, so still relevant today. Uh, what were your takeaways about, about seeing that? that I again? mean, it's it's really sad. I mean, it was it's a grotesque feeling, you know, uh, especially for me, like watching that and whatnot. But I think Sydney's character handled it so well. And it is like the idea of like or the notion of being like this, like he's in a place where he has a position where he's knowledgeable and smart enough to realize I need to choose the right decision in that given moment and not put myself in a in a bad position like um, especially in an area that he's no, there's no familiarity that he has with that and he knows it's a segre- segregated town or I- I'm assuming it's still segregated yeah, at the time but what, yeah it seemed yeah. that way and I think uh, the way he handled it was was blissful it was amazing I loved how each moment that he took was just like so like thoughtful precise and he knew you know what I'm not going to say anything now let me handle it when it comes time when I go in there and whatnot and then he presented his badge later on or whatnot and said like yeah, i am a police officer yeah but i think if he did anything otherwise it'd been a wrap no yeah. matter what mm. um yeah, and, and yeah. there's a there's an and we talk about the intelligence of the character but there's an element of him probably having the foresight to know let's leave race aside obviously that's a major part of it yeah this guy's a small town cop in this podunk town in mississippi what's his training like does this guy know how to wield a gun does he know like he's like this guy could be like crazy trigger happy, even if he's not racist, which he almost certainly is. Well, they and made so, it sound like the last sheriff was the last chief yeah. was. Yeah, but didn't so, it seem like he was analyzing everything? Uh, uh, the way Sidney handled the character when he came into, I thought he was just checking every single thing. He was analyzing. He's so fucking yeah. cool. He's one yeah. of the coolest characters ever on screen. And mm. when he first gets into Gillespie's office, he's that fucking stare that he gives Gillespie as he's talking to him, not a blink. And he, like you said, he, he could have easily. Even at the train station, just been like, I'm a cop, dumbass. But he waits, and he waits, and he's just letting them go. He's mm-hmm. like, okay, here's the situation. Here's what I'm dealing with. And I fucking love when Gillespie sees the badge, and then he calls Wood in. He's like, why don't you take a look at that? He's like, yeah! Oh, yeah! Amazing. You fucking idiot! <laughs> <laughs> and, um, 
than once ask this guy for his fucking identification or or if, or anything. You didn't question him at all. Like, they were playing checkers. He was playing chess yeah. almost in a sense. Yeah. That's how I saw it. So. And uh, so that played for laughs big time in theaters. And um, and Jordan Jewison said he got really nervous because he's like oh, he's like oh, I wasn't going for comedy here. But it's like but there is it's if you not, achieve comedy accidentally, just put your hands up and be like thank you Lord well, and move an, forward. There's an element of, of levity to it too because it's kind of like we're we're here like so tense so tight and then this happens and it's like oh, it's like a release right. Uh, it, I love the train. There's no 2 a.m. train in this town. What are you talking about? The train's going to be better than the shit to sheriff like, of the town. Yeah, because all he, he wants to get there, yeah. sit there with a minimal amount it's of time, so get on the train, though. and leave. Yeah. What a great choice, though. So I'm glad awesome. they did that with the train coming back. Like it just Amazing. Sound effects. Right. Sound effects, yeah. yeah. We'll find out why this won by yeah. the end. Between the fan and all that stuff, AC not working and all that. Like Great choices, man. Like, Makes it feel so lived yeah. in. He has to oil his own yeah. air conditioner. These two had such ownership over these characters. Something that, to me, I don't want to sound like the old man in the porch again, but it's just so missing in, in what we see a lot of well, today. you like, said the really best scenes the characters. are them. Like, basically them together. Like It's hard to find another yeah. movie like this where the two lead actors or actresses or actor and actress is is the best or just di- so dynamic that they carry the entire film. It might be a comedy like Rush Hour or or the Nick Nolte Eddie Murphy one I can't think hours. of the name. Yeah, hours? It, might, it might be something like that. Like what else is up there with these like buddy movies? <laughs> Green Book? Well, what did the it turned this turned into a TV show? What is the TV? What is the TV show? He comes back to the town and he's like, "I'm with." I'm no, they work. Now. They work together and they're detectives investigating in stuff. that town or in another I, town. I, I, I hope it's another town, know. man. I mean, how many times you're going? It's probably not <laughs> yeah. there. It's uh, Tibbs again. <laughs> they call me Mr. Tibbs. <laughs> they stole the damn pecan pie from the diner again. I'm trying to build factories. Scooby Doo over here. <laughs> yeah, well, what's the? Let's the show them who you really are. <laughs> the sequel is They Call Me Mr. Tibbs, right? Uh, is, is it, oh, there's a the sequel, sequel movie, too, too yeah. In yeah. Night, now, he was such a, uh, to use the pioneer word again, a pioneer in his, his trade and being really the only real black actor at the time. Um, that was taken seriously. Yeah, and the only guy getting lead roles. Like, it's that's that's a tough... It's, that's a tough uh, burden to carry there, too, because it's like, yeah, it's great you're getting the roles, but it's also like, you know, why aren't other why aren't my peers getting these roles and like why am i here to carry the this this cross throughout this whole thing we spoke a little bit in last week's episode is that there actually was another actor who who kind of predated poitier a bit in his uh but in more of of the supporting role terms and uh he was a soldier in in Patton. james edwards is the name Uh, Artie, you'll probably know him from he's in stanley kubrick's the killing he oh. uh, plays the uh, the parking lot attendant who brings the horseshoe to the <laughs> yeah. to the sniper. He's great. And, yeah, he's fantastic, fantastic actor. Another great and, character actor. Are we yeah. saying that he was on the same kind of caliber? He as... was about a decade before, but he was um, not caliber actor. A very good actor, but in the sense that he was a pioneer doing it on his own, but doing it through supporting roles, not lead roles. Okay. So about a decade before Poitier was really in the mix or so, it was the first ever actor to portray a, a, a black fighter pilot. And then Poitier came through and did it on the lead level too. So James Edwards is the name of the actor. I think these are really just testaments to talent shining through. It's like the, he, uh, James Edwards was so good. I mean, of course, yeah. there's a lot of good acting going on, but it's 
he was so good they had to put him in supporting and Portier they are, they're now pioneer pioneering lighting techniques for because he's so good you got to get him on screen and but, I actually I, I had an appreciation for the fact that I, learning about the lighting situation that you're discussing I know like in a lot of past history like you know 20s 30s or whatever like you know even as an african-american actor or a musician whatever you know being portrayed through film and whatnot they would darken your face mm. um with you know makeup and so you wouldn't glow yeah. like you, they reflect the, exactly. the lighting so it, i i commend them for giving a chance for sitting and showing him and in his natural beauty you mm. know what i mean like yeah and presenting him in a way that this is who you're getting like this is this man this individual and he yeah. is he is beautiful he is, very he handsome. Is beautiful. Very handsome. He's killing it. AJ, the climate in in Hollywood today with with black actors, how is that? I mean, obviously it's it's obviously better than it was in the '60s, mm-hmm. but um, where how has it been? Because like you said, acting's kind of been something that you've experienced at different stages in your life. Um, what has kind of been your um, your plight through that in in the industry? Uh, I think I think there's more opportunities. Uh, now I think there's more availability for roles and whatnot. I think you know there was a social like a time where roles were being casted as like people was like oh we're just getting the the thug or the gangster or whatnot. Mm-hmm. I think things have become more available. I, mean, I think you've seen people like Michael B. Jordan, uh, John the Majors, who I'll discuss later actually mm-hmm. uh, oh, in this yeah. episode. I think there's more opportunities for these younger actors and getting more time to shine. You know we're not just giving this like the social standard of what it is to be a certain character. Like there's a stereotype for everybody. The stereotype. Yeah. If you want to say that too. I appreciate that. And I think that stems from our past, you know, the Denzels, Morgan Freeman's, you know, uh, Terrence Howard's or whatever or whatnot. But I'll say this is more, it's more opportunistic now than it has been, I think, uh, prior. And I'm very appreciative of that. To really think about Sydney going through that time and whatnot, especially when you think about it, with the, who was the uh, actress in uh, Gone with the Wind who won the Best act, uh, Supporting Actress? And how she wasn't even able to be at the Oscars with the pe- with the vicinity of the people and whatnot. And then to sit in a different place. Sydney with Steiger and all of them in the back and whatnot. And I was like, and it really, it, that actually was very impactful for me. Like to watch that scene and see them when they want best picture. Yeah. I was like, wow, yeah. we've come a long way. Yeah. Like, Hattie so, McDaniel. Uh, Hattie yeah. McDaniel, yes. Yes. Yeah, so to me, so that was very important up. to me. That, like, that, I appreciated that the most. Jesus. For Sydney, to my, I saw the clip of him and Steiger, and he's getting Steiger up. He's actually being like, yo, like, come on, like, you just want best actor. And he's like, Ooh, it was, yeah. That to me, like, meant. Like it was, that's yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's really astounding. awesome. That's like, really awesome. So and then the cool. other great Oscar moment, uh, years later, when Denzel wins for Training Day, in the same night that Portier got his yeah. honorary award, and he you know points up to the balcony, and you goes, give it to me, and then you give Sydney. it to Sydney. Yeah. yeah, so I love that line by uh, yeah. Denzel and whatnot. And it's incredible that Denzel actually acknowledges how much how impactful Sydney was for him. And I think for a lot of those actors, like you didn't. I mean, to see somebody on the screen look like you, even just watching that film and seeing every single scene and just being there, like, and given a chance, like yeah. that's what I felt like. I was like, they gave you, they gave him an opportunity to present yourself into the world, and like, he's just going toe to toe with this guy who's just so talented. Yeah, with everybody in the scene and the slap and everything. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, the, look, you know, that's a good yeah. segue. Let's talk about the slap scene here too, because <laughs> this is this man. This scene is like. So we're at my scene of the movie here. The, oh, green, right. the greenhouse okay. scene is my scene. Of the scene. It's my scene of the movie. Yeah. The greenhouse scene. I knew you were going to choose that, and that's why I had to choose that. No, he didn't else. choose that. Uh, I didn't, I he didn't, didn't choose that. I'm the apartment scene. He didn't choose that. All right, so you chose it too? I was like, yeah. Before we, before we really get into the nuts and bolts of it, what a great idea to present the movie a villain that is a true villain but he's not the villain of this narrative. Right. He's the villain of some other story. Just a bad and guy. 
and you know you have you have uh, Mr. Tibbs you have you have Tibbs later on being like, you know, I let my emotion get. I saw him and said he's the killer, but I let my emotion convince myself he was the killer rather than breaking down the case and learning the case. What a cool narrative device to let's introduce this real bad guy who's a bad guy in a bunch of other stories, but this story has a different bad guy. Just a, a really powerful little set piece here. Yeah, we do know that Endicott did meet with Colbert in the greenhouse, but he didn't kill him. Yeah, and he didn't like him. He didn't like and him. He didn't and want they him fought, there, and they fought with each other all the time. He didn't want him there. He didn't and, like him, but he didn't kill him. And his when he got offended that he was being accused of murder by this, you know, what he views as you know a lower level person, yeah, but who is a cop, he really took a ton of offense and slapped him. It's almost. In his mind, he's like totally fine and justified by that. To get slapped back, that's what made him cry. He's like, I, he feels disrespected. Like in his warped view of morality, he views that whole scene as I was accused of murder, then slapped, and no one did anything about it to help me. He's probably never had anyone say anything but yes to him. Before. Exactly. He's that they would even question him. And then, I agree. And then yes. And then when he gets slapped, he's, he's like, like, he's like, you saw that. He's like, I did see, see it. See, yeah, that's yeah. my favorite part. Uh, I saw it. <laughs> Stey goes, oh, I saw it. He's yeah. like, he's I like, saw he's it. like, what are you gonna do about it? He's like. I don't know. No. <laughs> well, that's so, the best definition of Steiger's character. He was presented with a situation choosing to be racist or be right, and he literally didn't choose. He's like, I don't know. I'm not going to do anything, I don't think. So here's the... Here's I can't the, think this through. 100% agree with that. Yeah. It's a great... It, that the whole greenhouse yeah. scene is just everything. So here's the story behind that line here and the scene and the, the lead up to it now, just from the director. This... However, this really came about is like Artie, you mentioned before. There's a little bit of uncertainty as to was it improv, was it written, was it done? Who who really came up with it? I think that that gray area was created to protect Poitier at the time a little bit. They didn't want it to he come out like it was. It. Um, well, he came up with it, and, and he I don't know it, that he, he demanded it. But he, yeah, I, once well, I mean, yeah, because once he did it, he saw how powerful it was, and it's like this is fantastic. So they're going through it, and Steiger's like, whoa, whoa. What does my character do? Yeah, <laughs> but it's like Steiger's usually the guy that's going over the top and making these decisions. He wouldn't just like, sit there. He's like, "Oh wow, that's a decision." And he goes to Norman Jewish. He goes, "What does my character do?" And Norman goes, "I don't know." And Steiger goes, "I don't know either." And Norman Jewish goes, "Maybe that's just it. Maybe he doesn't know." <laughs> and they just played it as, I, "I don't know." Well, you know what? That's a fucking great way to adapt the emotion of that scene Amazing. into the screen because yeah. it's it plays that way and the butler's reaction is kind of great yeah. like, oh oh he just slapped him oh that was yeah. and then, he, well, and then made, that made my week <laughs> but then he kind of like he's like oh can't believe it would do that and walks away yeah like, but inside he's like yes yes, yes. <laughs> the old internal fist pump but it, i got django vibes in that scene Ooh, mm. that's a great choice 100 percent. where there were social norms totally broken the guy in white man clothes who's not supposed to be standing in the same room as a guy who's literally serving the white man he's talking to just mm. weird very awkward social norms yeah. and well, and Django's all about that Tarantino's a a huge Rod Steiger fan so there's no doubt that he's sending the heat of the night many many a time I got a lot of Quentin vibes from this movie and yes. isn't it kind of interesting that the way Portier how he handles handles himself in the beginning and whatnot with everything that's been going on being accused it's kind of interesting like how he chose throughout the whole entire time to be like composed very eloquent like you know what I'm not going to deal with this civil disobedience or anything like that and then that moment he was just like 
Hell no. Because like, he's yeah. been dealing yes. with the working man. Yes. He's been dealing with the working man this whole time. And in his mind, he knows he knows where he comes from. He knows where he's at. He knows his suit. He knows his bank account. So these guys are small town guys in a small town town. That was a fat cat standing on a plantation with, yeah. you know, servants, you know, who, who he, he drove through that cotton field. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he got served the lemonade. You know, that was all of that built up to this. So, Jay, you call that shot out right in the beginning. You know, when we see that cotton going through the blades, we know we're going into a part of this movie that's not going to be very comfortable. And this is, this is going to get rough. The Ray Charles kicks in. The, the build up to that. And, and AJ, that's a good point. He hasn't acted that way into that. But the build up to that brought him to that scene. That's why that cotton, the cotton field scene is so brilliant. Yeah. And to your point, this is the first time he's interacting with someone that he views on his level of honor and integrity. Yes. So Ooh, when he yeah. gets slapped, he has to slap him back. Yeah, there's an equity. To be there. like, we're yeah. balanced. Mm-hmm. Don't slap me. Yeah. And it's his first, it's he doesn't slap the police officers. He doesn't do that it to the working him because they're lower than. They're him. the working man. He doesn't mess with man. them. So now there's another interesting dynamic here where the you yeah, know the dichotomy change. Yeah, yeah, the class reversal. Complete class reversal. Well, he's got such a chip on his shoulder. That's what makes him so magnetic, magnetic and dynamic. Is you know he, he definitely like you're saying he looks he knows he's smarter than everyone. Yeah. So when he gets slapped, he's like the fuck. Yeah. Like, yeah. No way you're getting away with that. Yeah. Yeah. And, this, and then you're right. When he gets back to the car, it just all. This like passion uh, falls out of him. He's and he and he actually says we can bring that fat cat down. Like he's starting yeah. to be. That's the first time where he's like that. Colonel Sanders, motherfucker's going down. Yeah. Beginning, like you were so like calm and like because you're in like, this heightened yeah. emotional environment. And you knew you were involved in like yeah. fucking and that's south. That, and you could hold on to it for a while, yeah. but then the heat gets the humidity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it boils through. That heat, man. That's a good. That's a good point because he does say at the end, "I let my." blindness about and i wanted to catch endicott so badly mm-hmm. that i didn't see who the real killer was and that is the first scene where you see he, that he's passionate about getting endicott it, it, even if it's going to blind him as mm-hmm. to the truth now he does say it's his personal biases or, or his personal emotions that led him to endicott he wanted to bring him down so bad right but they also did trace him to his greenhouse so that's some tremendous evidence that endicott's involved at least well because there was a lot of money there and, and they were a fighting lot of conflict yeah right. but it's not it's a 12 angry men situation murder. there's also a guy who picked up his wallet and ran away who yeah. didn't do yeah. it there's also a guy who inherited 600 dollars at the same time 600 dollars went missing who didn't do it so it's like a little twelve angry men misdirection. Yeah, but, uh, if, you're, if you're suggesting that it's a little too outrageous that all these no, things not too once, not no, too okay, outrageous. Yeah. Very logical. Yeah, there's a lot of things going. Very on. logical, and, and there's centered, also... but they're all centered around one rich uh, individual coming in and taking over the town. So that is going to create a ripple effect. Yeah, and there's thirty people in this town, things. and they all know each other. There's Packy, yeah. there's Harv. You know, yeah. we know them all. Like <laughs> the shag bag. <laughs> yeah, the shag bag. It's a shag bag. <laughs> He's headed for the bridge. <laughs> How did that not get? How did that He's get gonna be in Arkansas? How did that? Get, yeah, Arkansas. By the way, Arkansas. There's no sign for Arkansas on the Mississippi River. Shag bag. What's that name? All right, so Artie, you brought up our uh, our pickpocket there, our wallet thief, and you know sometimes you have to pick a pocket or two. Um, I I want to talk about that set piece or that chase set piece. They're running through the woods. It's it's kind of the most different thing in the movie. It's like a little like step out of what's going on here. That POV camera angle. The POV. They're <laughs> bringing out the tricks in this one. They're bringing out the tricks. And you know I love my trains right. in movies. And uh, boy, the bridge shot 
of when the meet when that music kicks and that instrumental Quincy Jones action kicks in yeah. and him running along the thing. Just a um, one of the visuals that stuck with me through my original viewing of this thing. Like I mentioned before, I didn't remember so much about the film, but obviously you remember the, the Mr. Tibbs line. Who doesn't? Who, who could ever forget that? And that that shot, man, of running along the bridge, like that is like I'm like, oh god, isn't there a cool chase in this? And and there it is. And the best part of the chase is it's so anticlimactic because Rod Steiger's just cruising alongside him at the end. There, it's like all this was was for naught. He's wearing the glasses Uma Thurman wears when she drives the pussy wagon and fucking kill Bill. Literally, see that's what she's wearing. That's what she's. That's what he's wearing, and it's so cool. It's such a good choice. It's so different and dynamic, and shows that he's not just like a normie. He's where he's he's got some character. This here is Shagbag. You hear? He's headed for the river. He's gonna be in Arkansas. (laughs) I mean, if you're naming characters to grab the audience's attention, you're doing a great job. Shag bag, and I do, and they got the bloodhounds going. I love a good bloodhound, hound dog. Great. It, it reminded me of No Country for Old Men, that chase with the dogs chasing uh, uh, Josh Brolin mm. down to the river. Intense yeah. scene there. Haven't gotten to that yet. Haven't gotten to Gone with the Wind yet. We're bringing up all sorts of best pictures that are on the Kramer vs. Kramer was mentioned before. I oh, I love Kramer vs. Kramer. Other scenes we haven't mentioned here in this one. Examining the dead body, of course. Great dead body acting. You have these. Great dead body acting. Literally, like I thought it was a dead corpse. I thought it was like a prosthetic. I thought it was like a like a like a like a dummy or something. It was a that was a that was a man. It was a live oh, that was man. a real person. It was a live man. Oh, that was some of the best <laughs> acting I've seen. They might, they might get MVP. Oh, it's like, oh, really? That was real. Oh, my my apologies. I'm changing my MVP. He was that good. Was that good. Yeah. I didn't believe he was alive for one second. Yeah, yeah. The dead acting usually pops up in my nitpick zone here, and uh, this is a well, uh, this is a, an, an award contender here. <laughs> well, the first two guys who examine the body before do a really poor job, right? And then Gillespie comes in and kind of touches his face, semi poor job, and then Virgil just comes in and blows him out of the water, touching ankles, faces, hands. Asking for he's like I need sodium benzate. I need hydrochloric acid. Sodium and, benzate. And that's when Gillespie says to them, "Well, they're like, who is this guy?" And he says, "Anything he wants, you see that he gets it. He knows this guy is an expert. <laughs> he's gonna help me solve this case." And it sets the tone for his intellect and how he is smarter than everyone in that town. Moves real quick. Moves real swift. Going to this spot. I need this tool. I need that tool. The guy's looking at the other guy like, "What? What?" I don't. Do we have that tool? Yeah. Like, we don't have copper. It's like we got a we got a tape measure and we got <laughs> yeah. like uh, one of them tweezers. So this <laughs> we got around here. Yeah. Uh, this is this is a method or, or a trope that they use in the X Files all the time. This is I guess whoever is uh, well, well Vince Gilligan did the X Files. But there's just you always have Mulder and Scully coming into a small town and just doing an autopsy and making everyone look like an idiot. You know. Oh, okay. Yep. Temperature here. Temperature there. It's like some small town sheriff looking on, like, "Oh, I've never seen a body like this before," you know. And it's just, and they just move in, and they'll just do it like every third episode, just kind of move in. And I feel like it all started on the, in the heat of the night here with this scene. Yeah. Another good point about how uh, Chief Gillespie is a good cop who doesn't even realize he's a good cop, it's just his instincts. Chief Gillespie's like, "How long has he been dead?" And he's like, "Hour, maybe half that." And he looks at him, he's like, "Maybe half that, huh?" Like he doubts him immediately. He knows he's been dead longer than an hour or a half hour. 
So he has some good. Like he this, has some instincts. I like this. What you've clicked into is that that it's it's there. It's but there. It's not, yeah, it's but there. There's not a lot of confidence that he has in it. Right. He he. And when and whenever Poitier makes a good point, he's immediately convinced. Like if Poitier uses good evidence, he's a good cop. He changes his opinion. Is it Chief Gillespie? Like he actually try if he would try though, because I feel like he's like giving half-assed. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. Oh, but his- half of him is trying to save Sidney Poitier from getting killed by the town. He he just wants to solve the case and get him out of there yeah. as fast as he can. He doesn't trust that this can happen fast enough. So half of him is motivated by getting him out of there. But then Poitier makes these breakthroughs, and he's like, "All right, I'll give you a day or two. Like, oh, I'll give you three days." And he follows him around. He's like, "All right, I'll can keep I, can you I safe." Ask, can I throw this out there too, if you don't mind? I mean, maybe it's like earlier on. Did you think the chief was racist? Prior, like before meeting, Poitier? I think or the do chief. You think he always had some type of like semblance, or like some type of like, you know what? I'm. I don't know what I am. Like I'm just. It is what it is. Like I think I'm going that, with the flow. Like I appreciate him. Or I think what you just said. I think he just kind of goes with the flow. I think he's playing into it a little because of the town he's in. Okay. And if he doesn't, he'll stand out. Kind of what Poitier does when he's quiet, getting arrested, yeah. like that's making the, the right choice. Like, I was like, I, I couldn't really. I wasn't like, sure. It's ambiguous. Like, yeah, ambiguous. Yeah, it's yeah. like and when, when we talked is maybe he's not a racist, but he uses those racist incidents to knock him down a step because he's being challenged by Tibbs. And he knows it or works. he is a racist, but he knows he wants to solve this crime more than anything else. And yeah. Virgil kind of into kind of kind of gets to him at the end and shows him that, you know, it's not, a, you know, he kind of changes his mind about things. Okay. I viewed it as he is a racist because racism is all he knows and all that town knows. And there you're in that town. You're you're racist. We got our confederate flags flying out of our cars and that's the small town living that's what they know and i think he's confronting himself within this weekend or week or whatever however long uh, tibbs is there and you know is he you know is it is he racist and now he's not i don't think so i think that i think he's a complicated character who has his personal biases i think he's a i think he's a lonely man i think he's an angry man um, I don't think he's a bad man at the core, but I think he has a lot of 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 of, of scars or warts or however you want to call them, or whether they're internal or external. All of this has brought him to the part of the life where he's not a very happy guy, and and part of that is is you're going to be mean to people, you're going to be hateful to people, and and that's where the racism comes from out of that character for me. Why is he trying to help Tibbs all the time? Why is he trying to save him from getting beaten up? Because it's because bad for the town. Or is it bad for the case? No, a cop getting killed from Philadelphia in that town is bad for that town. Oh, he says it moments, He though. says it in the movie, though. He says, this is. you know what happens if you die in this town? It's bad. I think he respects Tibbs. I think he respects well, Tibbs. I was gonna well, say, I 100% do notice, agree. Do you notice the part where he lets him out of jail and he opens the gate for him? Yeah. Like, that's not a racist thing to do. No. Nobody in that town would do that for so my. Only Gillespie did that for him. My answer to that question is, he says he came to this town in the apartment scene. So I don't think he inherently was racist, but in the way to survive in this town is to show you have a little racism. He's surviving. They yeah. said how he handled that slapping scene. The slapping scene. Is not how the last chief would have done it. And his career suicide, basically. Right, and the last chief would have shot yeah. him right away. And yeah. he still carries on like, well, I'm, I'm who I am. So I don't think he was racist. I think he does what Poitier does 
playing into the the town. Like you got to do what you got to do in this environment to make it work. And and I I think that the apartment scene is evidence of that when he says he came here. I don't think he was racist inherently. Yeah, well, and I I think at the end he kind of realizes like they they all think this, but oh, this is obvious this isn't right. Like, you know, he kind of comes to that conclusion internally. And that's where this movie becomes a, a great conversational piece, and it, it asks more questions than gives answers. A million because percent. Because he may not be racist at his core, or he may not really intend to be racist, but he uses hateful speech, and he does racist actions. So where does the line between being racist and and not being racist where do you draw that is it oh he's just trying to fit in or is that still racism you know like R- racism to is keep his job it's still racism racism is socially contagious so it becomes like a social norm to be racist to fit into the environment you're in well like a chameleon effect i presented it as him like trying to uh, like the assimilate like assimilating part like where he was trying to be like you know if i need to fit in i need to do these like how you said like oh, i'm gonna use this to uh, as a jab at you like you know what because that's right or whatever uh, I personally felt in this film, like watching him throughout this whole entire thing, I think he was hurting. I I know it sounds crazy. I felt like there was times when he was saying certain things or whatever, like he didn't really want to say that, but he had to. Mm, yeah, that's like what I mean. He had to to control, to control and be like, know your place. But in his heart, I feel like he didn't really want to do that. And the most painful one yeah. was in the end, in the apartment. It's just the two of them. Two of them, yeah. And that's and and it got too close. Like it was, yeah, yeah and it was and, way. Like and what are you doing? Gives him like, that look like. But that's, that's why he gives him that look. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. why Tib he Squint gives. Is like, yes. Who is Tib this? Squint we, might we be the so sh- close for a yeah. second. And Tib Squint might be the shot of the movie. It's a great squint. <laughs> Leaning back on that chair. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that was. It the might point. be yeah. the shot of the movie. That, that was actually my shot. Like that moment right there. That him doing <sighs> that. I was like, yeah. damn, dude. Like you were so close. Like mm. it, it was like kind of that buddy cop almost effect a little bit. Like, hey, like we we've been partners like this whole like what the hell's going on right now like. What's happening? Like, Did, yeah. Does anybody ever uh, get the sense like um, Gillespie is not getting any respect from anyone else in town? Oh, 100%. Well, that's absolutely it, right? That's why, he, that's why he takes it out on Wood. 100%. Demand this respect. Yeah. That's why he takes it out on Wood. Gate, right? yeah. He's insecure towards Wood because Wood is the guy who demands respect from other people, so he doesn't <laughs> like him. They, right. don't, they don't work right. because they're the same. Well, what about when the guy's listening on the phone? And Wood's yeah. like, I ain't gonna do that. And the guy's like, Oh, that don't bother me none. Like he, like that guy has no respect for Gillespie. He's gonna listen in on this conversation. He's not gonna fix the gate when he tells him to. Oh, you told my no, you told my brother to He'll do look that. out for Gillespie's <laughs> on the prowl. Yeah, and yeah. he's like, yeah. I talked I to talk Harold. To yeah. Harold said he wasn't supposed to fix the gate. You better fix that gate. Ten four. Yeah, man. Dude, uh, he's man. a really the, tough. Both of them are not getting any respect. Who's a, who's a tough character? Gillespie's a tough character. Oh, that's why we'll he's fucking yes. tough as that was, shit. That's it's a lo- awesome. that's a lot. Yeah, I, I didn't realize. But like, such a fun on-screen yeah. character to watch. Someone because there's levels and layers that you have to go through. Yeah. Like tough that. on the exterior, but so so, yeah. so hurt and and wounded on the inside. This is a wounded character, and I think a lot of that is is uh, Steiger bringing his real life into it. Like when he said, you asked him about the character, he immediately brought up him being 11, being abandoned when he was 11 years old. Isn't well, um, everyone in the world a wounded character? Well, can we you also know? discuss that? I, I think it's all, it's it's open for discussion, but I know he had mental issues, right? That was a big Suffered issue. from serious depression, depression and serious yeah. alcoholism. Yeah. Was, was, was abandoned a, at a yeah. very, very young so age. Sure parent for like, yeah. Uh, yeah. his dad was like in vaudeville. So a group in West Hampton, New York. Oh, they were swingers. Uh, 
<laughs> Vaudeville, West Hampton, New York, the 80s. He was Come born on. in West Hampton. West Hampton, yeah. New York. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. No, yeah. really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Local, local guy. I should have brought my, yeah. I should have got the West Hampton IPA, but uh, went <laughs> oh, Montauk man. instead. Of <laughs> That's it. To but celebrate I, his parents ador- uh, by abandoning him. You know, <laughs> you know beach town. Um, <laughs> no, but he abandoned me. I mean, let's be a man at 11. This is pretty. That's pretty young. It's dark. <laughs> it's he pretty dark. Today. It was yeah. like he had that on hand. He was, that, that yeah, reference. he said, you know, that he, memory. this is a lonely character. I've been alone since I was 11, yeah. you know, like, and it, and when you hear about the stuff, you know, he's suffering from the depression, from the alcoholism, you could see, and that's an improv scene. He brought a lot of himself into that scene, into that character. And he really you know, drank alcohol in that scene, too. He actually, a million, a million, he actually did. A million Let's percent. Confirmed that he actually I, I, did. You could tell. He gets <laughs> he, drunker. Uh, you could see him no, take three uh, shots. Yeah, no. Norman Jewison, the director, said, uh, he goes, I had to get uh, I had to get Ronnie a little sauced up for this scene. A little wow. juiced up, as so we said. He a little, takes, a little he cure the insomnia. The it won't even cure the insomnia. Yeah. He takes three or four shots in the scene. And you can see him escalate like it's in a matter of 30 seconds. Yeah, like, they were drinking in that You take scene. four shots in 30 seconds, you're going to be a different person. Right. So I, authentic. Done it. AJ's so done it. There is a realism to the character, but there's there's a development to that character that is not done enough in, in movies throughout the last hundred years. You know, all it takes is one scene, one scene like that, but two guys just getting real with each other for a moment unlocking all these doors to the character. Think about what this movie is without that scene. Just take, you know, a, take a one glimpse. We don't know anything about these guys. And it just takes one little conversation to, to open up so many avenues to these guys. Is it weird for me to say? I mean, it's on the same level, but I, have you guys seen American Gangster? Yes, I hate that movie. I, do you? Okay. Yep. I, I'm so sorry. Uh, but it reminded me of Denzel and uh, Russell Crowe when they're sitting in the uh, at the precinct and they're having this conversation like kind of like talking about their livelihood like their lives or whatnot and i thought it was like a little bit not, not the same comparison on the same grand scale but sure. just like these two people Vibes. being there like kind of like being vulnerable and like mm. talking about their their lives like reminded me of heat with pacino and de niro oh great choice one. oh wow yeah. i didn't even think of that that's well it's fresh choice. in my mind but them sitting over the co- oh so i gave you that you want to have like, a cup of coffee <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> okay yeah, the, that's them just talking about their intentions and, their and two. That's like a Batman Joker conversation. Yes, well, that's literally yes. it's literally yes. Batman Joker. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. I gotta see American Gangster. Like, I know um, some people are all about that. Um, Ridley Scott's a, Ridley Scott is a polarizing director. He's gonna get some people to love his stuff. Some people. Well, Jay, what do you do? You, I don't know. Do you like the movie? I like the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it's it's good. Good. Yeah, it's good. I mostly yeah. love Those Ridley Scott, but his misses are misses. Can't wait to see Napoleon. Napoleon is coming out. <laughs> well, yeah, like Gladiator is one of my favorite ever. Keith Phoenix looks intense as Napoleon. Napoleon is on his way. The trailer looked good. Yeah. And, and yeah. it was a good trailer, too, because it's not giving away the movie. Yeah, it just shows us did. what we need to see. Before we move into the awards, I just one last scene that I got to call it up. I'll, I'll drive myself crazy if we forget to talk with this. The train station scene where Rod Steiger goes to, to get Poitier to stay in the town. Uh, and how it's shot. I have to call out the sequence of shots here in this one. Starts off with the long shot from a distance. You see Steiger approaching. Poitier has the, the suitcase. It's a big, wide shot there. And you just see the in, in the distance him slowly walking, slowly walking, slowly walking. Then we move to them talking, and we have ourselves a long shot. A Western-style uh, shot. Yeah, well, and, and, we, and we're not cutting. We're not cutting. They're just... Two guys, and the first part of the conversation, there's only one cut in the whole thing, so it's basically two, two one shots running straight through. 
And then Steiger starts to get in his face, saying, like, don't you want to make a difference? And now we're doing a series of quick cuts, quick cut, quick cut, quick cut, back, 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 back and forth to, 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 with the intensity of the scene. And then we end with a shot that is parallel to the train tracks, a long shot along the scene, Steiger walking away in the distance, and Poitier picking up his suitcase and heading back. Yeah. Just genius camera work. Yep. Genius camera work to build emotion and to just take, let the viewer just sit back and see this scene, which is you're just at a train station. It could be the most boring looking thing in the world. And the way they shoot it is so dynamic. Great connection here. Okay. The opening shot of Heat is a shot of two train tracks that are completely parallel. Mm. Same thing. De Niro mm -hmm. and Pacino. Yep. The movie starts with two train tracks going opposite directions. And that's the, you know, that's I love a metaphor for the entire movie. Trains. Jay, you just watched a Brief Encounter for the first time, right? David Lean's uh, yes, Brief yes, Encounter. Yes, yes. yes. Lots of trains. trains. Lots of, <laughs> lots of <laughs> storytelling through trains. Yeah. Yes. Well, I love in this scene, um, Gillespie says, Gillespie tells Virgil he has to leave, and then Mrs. Colbert says, uh, you better keep Virgil on the case. So then Gillespie has to go back to s tell Virgil to stay. And they're sitting on the bench, and Virgil's like legs crossed, sitting up, and Gillespie's like slouched over, like. But in the, you could just see the differences in their mannerisms. But they're both there for like the same reason, which was like you said, Gillespie calling out Virgil and saying that you think you're better than everyone else, and this is the perfect opportunity for you to show how much smarter you are than everyone else. Yeah. And he kind of hits him on that pride issue, and he's ah. like, "All right." And the Virgils. Wait, uh, taking a few seconds before he picks up that suitcase, actually thinking about it, and Gillespie kind of stopping, turning around. That shot. And Virgil along. being like, all right, and picks Great it shot. up. I'm like, what actor, like taking your time to convey uh, inner dialogue? Think you're acting. Yeah. yeah. Think you're acting. Incredible. His Beautiful. facial acting in this. And is the camera phenomenal. telling you, when we're, we're straight on, it's like you can stay or you can go. It's both. Both exits are in the play, but then it turns, so there's only there's only one direction. The camera's pointed back to the town, and that's where you gots to go, you know. And he, he picks up the suitcase and goes. Yeah. AJ, the uh, the, the uh, train station scene. No, I think everyone hit it on the nail. I mean, it's just uh, it's an impactful moment, and it's um, it, it, oh, the train, train in the distance. <laughs> oh God, snap! Yeah, Sydney, are you going that train, man? <laughs> there's, no, there's, no two, there's no two o'clock train here uh, in Huntington. Uh, no. No, two o'clock train. Yeah. <laughs> There's a gravitas to it. I feel like it's it's important also for him as a person, as an individual, being like, I need to complete this. I need to finish this. Like, I can't just abandon this, you know. And I like that about it. I like that moment. And I also like how you just said the shot for shot. Like, that was really kind of crazy. I can't believe I forgot about that because it is that, like, moment of, like, inner dialogue you just said beforehand. Like, am I really going to do this or am I – getting the hell up out of here like, yeah, I, mean, like, like I don't want to do this anymore but like I feel like there is a little bit of pride like being like I need to complete this like I need to finish yeah. this there's like, a lot of choices like, in this movie this. that these characters make and they yeah. I feel like they always make the right one what about the part where he says it would give me satisfaction to horse whip you and Virgil says my father, father. used to yes. say the same right. thing yes. to me because like, he knows it's wow. not a real yeah. comment he sees through it I think I think you're onto something I think the squint is really him like he doesn't view he's not he knows he's not racist he knows he's not racist so he says yeah i'd love the horse whip he's like yeah my dad used to say same, that to me thing. like that doesn't really do anything to yeah. me like he's trying to disarm he him did, a little he did, yeah he's trying disarm to disarm him. him uh let's talk the ending the reveal the whole scooby-doo reveal at the ending i think aj you brought up scooby-doo <laughs> scooby earlier reveal. 
Hell no! <laughs> like Scoob, Scooby, Scooby. <laughs> it's old, it's old man Ralph from the diner. <laughs> Let's see who it really is now. That was such a Scooby Doo moment. It's so yeah. bad. <laughs> it does kind of end abruptly. It. This movie yeah. here hated the ending. Mm. That's just my one fault with the, it. The, the scuffle outside the uh, the abortion spot. I felt like it just seemed so chaotic and so like, like the script is so beautiful like throughout the whole entire film and I, they were just like, you know what? It's gotta be you. Like, let's make it you. Like, I just, I, I don't know. I, maybe that's just me personally or whatever. I just, uh, it was too abrupt for me. Like, so, I didn't see it like coming out, like in fruition like that. Um, Artie, how about you? I was actually about to ask you what you thought. Um, Cause I I I liked it. I really? Thought it, I thought it worked. Okay. I thought it worked. It was a little sloppy, but I liked it. Can I just say something? I think I think for me personally too, maybe watching it and like like being analytical, the time sequence, like when 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 Tim's is talking about the time timing of like things that are happening or occurring or whatever, when he was talking to the doctor when they had the body on the floor, like he said one o'clock, right? Mm-hmm. That was one of the biggest things. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make time for. It doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense. Like, there's some continuity issues. I don't know. Maybe they just didn't realize it or whatever. But for what's his name? Ralph was the guy. Ralph was what the. What didn't uh, make sense? He so was at the. My, okay, do you mind? Yeah. You have the, the, for the nitpick like, zone. Save it. All right, so we'll save it for the. All right, thank you. Thank you for I was like, am I going crazy? Jay has the night mapped out here. All right, so I kind of lean to AJ on this one just because I one of my pet peeves with movies, and it tends to happen with movies on tight budgets. I don't love abrupt endings. It's kind of like, all right, we ran out of money, so let's take her home, you know? And and this is one of those How much time's left in this movie? Oh, three and a half minutes we're going to wrap this up. Like, oh boy, this is going to be a, this is going to be swift here. Um I I don't hate it. I don't dislike it. It's perfectly fine if I'm putting the critical lens on. This is an area where I think that the movie is a little it's it's lacking a little bit. It does it's a bit abrupt. There's a bit of stretching of logic of how the violence would really occur. And would everybody be like, hold on, let's hear what he has to say. You know, so um, there, I do have some issues with that that kind of final Especially thing. for that time and period, too. I was like, oh, they're just letting this guy be a, like, that's yeah. it? Like, or whatever. It was, it was like, very yeah, Scooby-Doo. Like... Now, however, in the whole movie, these these reveals have been abrupt. Uh, they they think Harv is in, is guilty. He immediately, they wait and draw it out. And then he's like, no, he's not. He's, it's a right-handed person that did it. Couldn't have been him. And then it's like, oh, oh shit. Okay, we'll move forward with this new information. Then it happens again with Wood. Mm-hmm. They're like, Wood's guilty. It's definitely him. They're like, no, it's actually there, there's evidence. There's no way it could be him. Okay, well, okay, let's move forward again. So there, are the the ending being abrupt is on par with the other reveals. They're kind of just like, you wait till the last second. Here's all the info. Let's move forward. Yeah, I just think you got to land the. The ship. You gotta land the it plane was a, little a little sloppy. I just feel like the levity of it too kind of was just a little way. just the oddity. Like I, I just felt like this is a serious topic. It's a serious situation or we're down south. I mean, there's no way they were gonna let Sidney Poitier like I mean, come on. Like his character Tibbs being like, Oh, like wait, listen to me first, listen to me first. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, come on, man. Yeah, there, I mean, I'm there, just there'd be first. some more chaotic violence. Well, maybe there ask will be grabbing her. There's a yeah. lot yeah. There's He's the only one with the gun. Grabbing her. The, yeah. I, immediately when I saw him grab her, like I, I'm thinking at the time, you're dead. dead. Man. That's yeah. what they want yeah. us to think though. But then he then he the situation happens, there's a bunch of witnesses. He everything he said was true. He's the only one with a gun. He has them all at bay. 
you don't think the guy who's been following uh, Gillespie, Gillespie's been following him around is going to show up in five minutes? But why so listen then, to him, though? I mean, I feel like even why, the girl's why, saying, like, checks oh, he's the wallet. Right. Yeah, he gets yeah, yeah. to check the wallet. right. And that's been the pattern of the movie. It doesn't matter that he's African-American. He's, he's, he's right. And everyone changes their opinion when he talks because he's right. He does. Uh, he 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 instills the doubt in the character to check the wallet. But I, I agree, with AJ. I think it was filmed. The filming uh, was it. Editing's, editing's not. I great. I feel like if maybe if cheap was there, oh, that I, made I disagree with you strongly. Well, the, the pipe editing. fight, the uh, editing wasn't great. great. Okay, so all right, so this is just we'll go here then because I had this waiting next. Is Norman Jewis and the director is was very very hyper focused on the realism of this. This is a human story. Everything has to look and feel real here. There were two scenes in the movie that to this day, if he's still alive, I don't think he is, he was concerned about. There were two scenes he was ultra concerned about. One is the one we're discussing. That's why he used a lot of shadows and stuff. He's like, this is the reveal of the guy. I don't want to... And the other one is the scene you just brought up, the pipe, pipe scene. Fight. And I guess maybe we'll discuss that a little more in the in the nitpick zone. Yeah. I think it's time now. Head to the nitpick zone. It. AJ, let's uh, hold on to, the, to your chair. You know, keep your, head, your hands inside the vehicles here, your legs, because we're about to get warped into the nitpick zone. Okay, the nitpick zone. Jay, I, I, you have we're we're hot on this end scene here. Uh, you have your you've mapped out the last night yeah, of uh, the heat of the night. We're, let's go, let's go after it here. Let's go let's go big first here. Concerning the ending, I'm not entirely convinced of the ending. Um, the entire crime mystery plot in this movie feels like a MacGuffin to me, but it obviously isn't because it keeps it's a constant thread throughout the film. But it feels like a way to get Tibbs to town and stay there. It, and then it's almost like, okay, we got to keep him here somehow, so let's figure out how we're going to f- solve this mystery while he's here. Yeah, the red it's herring. Just, it's so the they use, they use Endicott as a red right? herring. It's a, fine, it's it's a, a subplot fine, but it sounds of like a great movie. story, you know? So with the time frame thing, right, is it... They say that he was killed between 11 and 2, but you're saying like 1 a.m. roughly. Ralph says he was leaving Dolores Purdy's house, walking to the diner when he got picked up by Colbert, and then he killed Colbert. So then what does he do? He walks to the diner after he kills Colbert? No, he drives Colbert's car. But what shift is he working? The 1 a.m. shift? And how is he there? Before Sam gets there in the opening scene, no. he, in you. that opening scene, yeah. you're telling me he just killed Colbert yeah. 20 minutes ago. Yeah, I don't no, know. an it hour, no hours it, ago. It, no, it doesn't fit. Poitier says he doesn't kill him until around. He's concerned with what happens between like 12 and one. Yeah, that's when he thinks he and he dies. leaves the, the the place at 2:40. Right. right, that's when Sam. So killed Wood, him. That's when Sam. So we killed Woodley's. him hours before. So he, two hours maybe. Two hours. It, what is he working? That that place is open twenty four hours. Why is he at the? Why is he going to work at the diner? I, I don't know the hours of the diner. And it, the guy owns it. He looks like a psycho. He's probably open 24 hours a day to kill people. <laughs> he does look like somebody from Psycho. It like is Norman a Norman Bates, Bates character. That's say, not, does that yeah. look like somebody that just killed someone? He's there yeah. flicking flies off the He looks like he kills people wall. every night. <laughs> that's like, referential. I mean, they that's... probably just blame black people on it all the time. I think there was a limited <laughs> amount of characters in this film, and they were like, okay, we've done enough red herrings. Who can we finally pick? to 100% agree. The opening scene, they knew he was the killer. Yeah, I don't believe that. You don't think they 100% agree. 
Sarah J. They, they no, the opening they scene. show you the killer killing a fly in the no, story. No, I'm not that. saying as the movie was going on, they were figuring it out. I'm saying as they're writing everything, they were like, okay, we have to make find the killer out somehow. And we're get, it's not gonna. And we did all these. We did Sam Wood. We did yeah. Endicott. Let's let's pick the one guy you we haven't also, done yet. You could also say, well, let's keep this guy in our back pocket. Let's write all these fake stories for these other people, and then come back to that guy. My, you could write res- it that way. There's no connect. There's no inclination that it's it's almost like um, uh, what do you call it? In, not an ex machina, right? It is an ex machina. Yeah. Right? machina, right? Yeah. It's- there's you get no inclination that him and Dolores Purdy were ever romantically. Engaged in the first place, they you don't even know that they know each other. No, but you get that she's a, and that he's mean to Wood, and Wood is protective of her. But he co- so that's and he character comes out development. Out of nowhere, though, as the killer. So it's almost like there was no. So my my issue would be that they never gave the audience a chance to solve the mystery. They did. I thought okay. it was the diner yeah, guy. Yeah, I thought Jay, it was okay, the diner okay, guy. Listen Jay, to me. All right, I, Jay. I, so my, let me get my response. My response here. Yeah, please. Okay. They do. Sh- <laughs> One of the key factors of this movie is is that. A lot of the characters are quick, including even even Tibbs himself, are quick and abrupt to jump to put someone, put this on someone. And there is evidence that the police officer didn't do it. He called in, and they show the audience, they show him getting startled by the corpse. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're watching as the audience, you know he didn't do it because he wouldn't react that way to a corpse if he did it. And he calls in the body. You know, yeah, I guess he could have if he were. It a could have been a fake out. I mean, how do you really know well, yeah, that? Though? Because I this mean, guy isn't very no, bright, we're and we it. they show us. We see he's not very yeah, bright. I mean, I never thought Sam Wood did it, but when how do you know Ralph did it? You, there's not one point in the movie where like, oh, it could have been. When, so when the guy. movie when the movie starts off, he seems crazy. He does. He's like the crazy guy. He is crazy. Okay. I get it. But he seems like he's a character right off the bat. He's mean to this guy. We don't know why. We don't we have no idea why. He also offers him some disrespect, even though this guy has in as we learn in the scene, told him to call him Officer Wood. Still calls him Sam. He's being a dick. How he, about how about this? The town I'm creep done. The town creep did the murder. Mystery solved. Boom. Done. It, it's very true. Call to me, call me very, Mr. Very, it's very, it's very <laughs> Who's true the creepiest factor? motherfucker wait, in town? Wait, the guy who owns the diner who's playing with flies the, and hiding the, pies from people. In the opening scene, he's playing bitching. foul Al on the prowl. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what the fuck is that? In the opening scene, he's bitching. Okay, we already know he has a relationship with Dolores. Let's bring up Dolores. Wait, you know that they are together? No, not at this point. Okay. We know at the end that right. he impregnated. Okay, right. So. Let's say that that happened already, okay? And the opening scene occurs. He's mean to this guy. Why? This guy drives by every fucking night and looks in her window like a creep and tries to hide it. And and they pin it on him because they, he's easy to pin it on because he cause, knows cause he, he drives, drives by. by every fucking night and he's a creep. Okay? So this guy's a dick to him. He hides the pie on him because this girl that this guy is banging and impregnating mm-hmm. has a creeper stalking him. So he's not going to give him good pie. He's going to hide it and say it's bad. And he's, that's why he's antagonizing him. Yeah. That's why he's antagonizing him. So they do develop that he is antagonizing the, the this cop who is go, who is creeping on the girl that he likes, the diner owner likes. Yeah, I'm going to give the W to... I feel like team, I'm in a court of law with you team guys Marty writing and, notes right now. Team Artie and, and Team Jewison win this, uh, win this battle. Hey, I'm, like I'm, it. it's uh, there. Artie, do you have a nitpick? The pipe fight. Editing. 
Okay. I had the pipe fight as a little little anchormanish to me too. A little bit. Uh, they show it felt like samurai cop to me. Yeah, it was. They show was one guy swing, one goofy, guy do something. Goofy fighting. Nothing. No, nothing against each other. Very much like one guy swing, one guy react, one guy swing, one guy react. I wait yeah. for the end of her. I thought uh, the he, film editing of this movie was brilliant. Good you know, overall. A good win and a but good win. When it came to the fight, it stood out as weak because everything else was so strong. Yeah, I think that's just more of a, a choice of what the actors are I doing. Th- I thought it was a choice, too, as well. Um, to but not show I, combat? Because they had those wide-angle shots. They could have done so much. I don't, I don't think you can shoot that in a way that was going to be convincing to me. I think the actors yeah. were the actors were like... Like Poitier is not like a, a it was artist. It was like West Side Story-ish to me. It, like, it, it's very much... Kieran, gave yeah. me you hit it on the nail. Hit it on the nail. I felt it was like a very Mike musical, like almost like... There was no... Yeah, 100%. There was nothing visceral about it. There was nothing dangerous about it. It was like, it was like Anchorman. You know, everybody, no touching of the hair or face. There. Meanwhile, they're on horses with ball and chain. There's like, don't yeah, touch right, the, hair the or face. hand grenade. Ah! <laughs> AJ, any nitpicks with the? I know the ending was one you you kind of called out a little bit there. We I just, back in a couple I days. just think that, and I know like it's a movie. So we have to take that into consideration. But that's what the zone is for. Yeah, calling it <laughs> yeah, out. For this that. is it. This is we're in that out. zone. But let's okay. So let's get in the zone. I think that if if we're doing with a if we're dealing with a realistic aspect, Pudi wouldn't have had a. I mean, the character Tibbs, Virgil Tibbs, wouldn't have had a lot of time to discuss me like, oh, it was him. I like, had this too. This like to me like, in that place, in that time, shoot first, ask questions later. Yes, yeah. and it just did not fit well for me in that scenario. And I, even though he is the hero, he is literally the person that the protagonist that you. He's the savior. He's. This enlightening figure, it just did not mold well. Like, and I was just sitting there. It was too much commentary, too much talking. Yeah. And it's just like, hey, buddy, like, and they're giving them all this time to converse and, and vocalize. Like, yeah. no, man. Like, the sh- only possible defense for the nitpick, I would say, the characters have established him as like right hand with the sheriff, and maybe they, maybe they were hesitated because they thought that this was just kind of going to be a bigger scene. So why didn't Ralph just shoot him? I think they're playing off the captain's lead, I think. He had the girl. I mean, he saw that he could have just shot him and just been like, oh, whatever. I mean, these guys were chasing him and bumping he him was, in the car he hold, earlier. Did, they am were I wrong? swinging chains at him. It, he held the, the girl I, came I, over to him. He held him. He, he was holding on to her, holding on to like, her, like right, just trying to protect her. The he had one. the he had the gun at 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 uh, Virgil Tibbs. He could have just shot him. Because he he made good points. He talked his way out of yeah, it. Yeah, I I think he I'm with you on this way one. Yeah. You know what? In real life, sure, he would have been dead. And but if he that shot for them, a good movie? they'd be like, you know what? Self, I'm just saying. Him like, walking his way out of it makes for a good movie. Uh, That's my defense. We brought it. Here's a nitpick I got to. We brought him up getting scoop. shot is the end of the movie, and then we're like not talking <laughs> about the movie right now. <laughs> We've brought up uh, Scooby Doo a couple times here. Um, that slide that Tibbs does out of that place. I mean, <laughs> How is that possible? <laughs> I mean, that was Looney Tunes right there. <laughs> Whoosh. <laughs> Uh, into action, yeah. That that's we went full Scooby Doo in the end yeah, of this thing. But you absolutely. know what? Hey, they're leaning into the genre too, though. It is the mystery genre. These are tropes that have been established. The who done it? Are like you like putting crime, may as well be different. Are you putting drama or crime mystery? Mystery, first. the mystery first. genre. That's what. <laughs> like as the genre, if you're gonna, I think it's a, this. I think it's a, a crime mystery first, I mean, be, and then like wow. what uh, No, no, I think it's a drama first. Right. Yeah. No, yeah, it's a yeah, drama, yeah. it's a drama subgenre yes. crime mystery. Right, right. Yeah. I, no, this is a, this is yeah. a human piece first. This yeah. is the bigger there's bigger issues. And when we get to the one to like five, you I'll, said, I'll, I'll hash the this out. The crime story is the MacGuffin. 
It's your it's own human story. <laughs> the human story is the yeah, it's the main text. And thing. just a little defense of the red herring thing, because I know what I said before, like you know, what I'm saying you're introducing a villain that's not the actual villain. Oh, it's just a red herring. I was like, no, 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 because he is a worldly villain, and we're telling a worldly story here. This is Good. a story about social issues. This is a story like about uh, about America in the time <laughs> that it's being made that still exists today. So we're introducing the real villain, honestly. If we want to keep tossing the MacGuffin out there, the MacGuffin is the actual crime in the story. The crime in the story isn't important. It's just a small town scuffle between a couple creeps. Very Cohen wow. Brothers. You know, yeah, there's yeah. a bigger issue here that that we get onto. I like so. it. Kieran, do you have any nitpicks? Uh, I I do, as I mentioned for the Grant Z seasonal nitpick. This is film where the leaves are turning in the South. It's supposed to be September 13th, 1966. I mean, listen, if Come at me if we we have to. I mean, I've I've had Ill, I've had Illinois nitpicks before and been shoved in my face being dead wrong, but I don't think the leaves have turned in September in Mississippi. Personally, I don't. You how people do you, in Mississippi go, they go to the northeast know? to watch the leaves yeah. turn. No, like how do you know? Be right. Uh, do I don't know? know, but I believe you. I have know? not been to Mississippi in September. Uh, are you, are you but, an ar- are you an I have not been there. That's a good. That's a good but, I've not been there. <laughs> I've uh, not been there. In September. I, I don't know much about it. Uh, I had thought about going once in July, but I had not been there in September. <clears throat> we're clearly filming in the fall. We're clearly filming cold weather. People are wearing jackets and stuff. It's like this is supposed to be the the story about the sweltering heat, and like it's kind of very clearly the extras are dressed like it's the fall, like the colder part of it. Now, can we get a cold day, random cold day in September, cold front day in Mississippi? I don't know. I, I don't get to the point where we're looking up average temperatures of Mississippi in in September time. I guess we're gonna have to do that. I'm not but, willing um, to spend the thirty seconds Googling that. Well, you know, I have a nitpick on the bridge on the bridge scene. <laughs> it's a nice big build up, POV shot, bloodhounds going, Quincy Jones laying it down. Uh Steiger gets on, he's like, I got him. And he's he, he like gets in the car, starts moving. And I'm expecting like a big finish to this fugitive chase scene. Like he's gonna open the door as he's driving by him and Harvey falls to the ground and it just ends on that beautiful long shot. And it's just like, well, I guess he stopped running away when he saw the cop chasing him. All of a sudden he stopped. Yeah, All over. of a sudden he got him. Yeah. Futile. So I was like, damn, that could have ended a lot in a better climax. I loved the but, irony of that at the end of that chase scene is that we have this big oh, dramatic right. chasing through the woods and it just ends with him slowly driving <laughs> yeah, by in the cop slowly. car. Like, where are you going, pal? Like, <laughs> you're in a small town here. You're not running anywhere. Like, we got gotcha. you. I wanted know? more. I wanted yeah. the door throwing yeah, him to I, the I ground. Dug that. I dug that. Any other nitpicks? Anyone else have anything? Oh, you're not going to like No one wants one. to drink that lemonade? Come on, that lemonade yeah. looked delicious. Like, can we, can we, can before we start slapping everyone, just a sip? It was just... It was, It'd be funny Look, if he grabbed the pitcher on the way yeah, out. Yeah, like, give pound me that it. fucking yeah. shit. <laughs> pound it on the way out. Tall like Stone Cold Love Steve Austin. Fucking Portier. <laughs> Smash two glasses together, you know. Right. Portier. Fuck your lemonade. Portier. He's dumped it down. That's the bottom line, cause Mr. <laughs> Tim said so. Smashes <laughs> the two pitchers together. <laughs> Kieran, the last line of the movie with the train station, you take care, does it for you? Loved it. You don't want like um nope. like a nice like a callback like you take care, Mr. Tibbs nope. I or needed, anything like that. I needed minimalism there. I needed minimalism there. The whole that, movie is less is more, so yeah. why not end it with less is yep. more? That was that was huge to me. No, I'm just thinking like that you take care. And then they just kind of like smile at each other. Like he didn't oh, want it. Yeah. Like, like no callback for like Mr. Tibbs or anything was, like that. 
Right on point. Yeah. There's bro love. Yes. They're in love. They yeah. solve the problem. We don't need a Green Book Christmas yeah. party at the end. <laughs> right. uh, we, it's, Please. yeah. These guys a... aren't sending each other Christmas cards. They're not. They're, they're not. They're not meeting yeah. on the beach at the end, making a boat at the <laughs> end of Shawshank. <laughs> well, maybe. Maybe. Be say Watanayu. It's like white man can't jump. Yeah, but doesn't doesn't uh, Rosie Perez save the movie by making them all the money on Jeopardy? Yeah. So that is a quiche, Alex. All right. So the Twitter questions. Here we go. We have a few in the mix here. There's a bunch surrounding the Oscars there. And we'll get to that in a second, but Grant C. just asked a Hall of Fame question here, and I got to get in the mix here. So this is going to require you to pick some other movies that you love. But he goes, what is your hot and sweaty movie, Mount Rushmore? So hot and sweaty movies. What's your <laughs> hot and sweaty movie, Damn Mount Rushmore? He, he offers his. He goes, I got In the Heat of the Night, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Do the Right Thing, and A Time to Kill. So a good, a good foursome there and- for him. That's a sweaty list. I gotta say, I will definitely have do the right thing on mine. That's got to be such a good. That, uh, yeah. that list is perfect. Yeah. Um, other ones, other hot and sweaty movies we want to throw into the yeah, mix. Yeah, I got one. one. Twelve Years a Slave. That. <laughs> that's uh, hot and sweaty. That is, hot. And sweaty. Nah. that is a hot one. Can we just throw them out. There? Yeah, throw them out, Jay. What do you got? How about Rear Window? Rear window is a good Very one. Hot. This is one that I got to put. One of my favorites. Twelve Angry Men. Twelve Angry Men. Yeah. Yeah. No air conditioning in that juror room. I knew yeah. you'd name yeah. that. So dog, I didn't write dog it. Day afternoon. Dog well, let me, day. Let me afternoon. get in here. Yeah. All right, yeah. Okay. Lawrence of Arabia. So uh, Lawrence, I had, but it was like I had like a like an asterisk because it's in the desert. So like I feel it's like hot and sweaty. I know I know I just know Grant and I know he's like thinking of climates that aren't supposed to be hot that are hot. Right. You know? Yeah, but, but like 12 that... Angry Men's an enclosed room in like the 30, it's a million When he degrees. pounds oh, that... Hot. Is it sweaty, though? Yeah. Oh, when 12 Angry Men. Get... What happens when you're hot? Are sweating? I oh. do love that movie, though. <laughs> I, he's thinking of when it's... Uh, well, because I think I'm thinking the same thing. When it's like hot in this New York City... Or like yeah, a, when, a when, suburbs, it's, when it's hot in a climate that's not right. hot year round. Like I, I know that I was thinking when the theme of the movie is like the movie's yeah. hot. Well, no, that's true. Like, when he pounds that that glass of lemonade in in Lawrence, like that's what I wanted in the heat of the night. I wanted someone to grab that lemonade and, and pound that, it like in Lawrence. Though. Kieran, that's the exact scene I thought of when I thought yeah. of is the movie hot is that um, lemonade scene. How about what a Grant's favorite movie's Jaws? Yeah, where no one uh, wants to go in the water and they're sitting on the beach because they're all afraid of the shark. That's true. That's gotta be how about the mummy? The mummy. The mummies. <laughs> they, they were sweating. Another Rachel Weisz with the desert. Yeah, Brendan Fraser. Bob Thomas. Well, yeah, I'm just, I'm just thought, Did you ever uh, see the movie Summer? The of music Sam? video for Smooth is yeah. <laughs> Summer of Sam. I, I've heard of it. The yes. music video for Smooth. Yeah, Summer of Sam. Well, Jay. See, that's where my brain goes. Like yep. the, the lights went out in Manhattan. More spike. Middle Lee. of summer, and then the last one I have is seven. The seven year itch. Shawshank, the roof scene. That's that's. I, I thought, thought of Shawshank, the roof here. scene. Yeah. The roof not scene. Not the whole movie though. But not the whole no, movie. No, but it made me feel so crisp when they cracked those yeah. beers. It, it is I the best beer drinking scene I ever. I feel so refreshed. Yeah. You guys covered everyone that I had here. Uh, Stand by me would be the other one there too. Cool. <laughs> Very hot. I, hot Labor Day weekend, and I, that's yeah. a September heat too. If we call back to that too. Go I haven't seen that. Ooh, I have speed on my list as well. Oh Speed's shit, that was a good hot one. That was Speed made me feel 100%. hot. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. Fucking hot boss. Uh, okay, now let's let's talk Oscars here. There's uh, a bunch of questions here. I'll fire them off. We had uh, Chauncey Tell say, "How many Oscar sins are fixed if Hoffman or Newman wins over Steiger? Should the should the graduate also have beat it for adapted screenplay? Do we have other graduate people? Have you guys seen the graduate before? Anyone here? I have. Yeah. Uh, well, well, AJ, let me ask you then. So the graduate compared to this movie in a few categories. He brought he brought up screenplays. This is Chauncey Tellis was on our, uh, our Return to the Departed episode. And then there's the lead actor situation. So Steiger versus Hoffman, 
and screenplay versus screenplay versus the graduate. What are your thoughts there with those? So it's interesting. I haven't seen the graduate in a long time. It's probably been about like seven years, but I was floored by it. I thought the screenplay was really it's a great film. It was incredible. So I don't know if there's a bias because I just saw in the heat of the night. I think between the two topics, I feel like it's more it's a relatable not a relatable feeling for me, but like I mean just being someone of uh of color and like was learning like history, I think I relate more to in the heat of the night. So that for me was more relevant um and important to me. Even though I loved the graduate, Dustin Hoffman is killer in it. Um, especially at that young age. I don't think it's his best performance, but I love him a lot. I just think that there's a lot more. I think In the Heat of the Night brings a lot more to the table and value. I don't even think it's close. Uh, oh, I that's love, good. That's good news then. I love. <laughs> Thank you. I love. Dude, I appreciate you. Thank God. You go out on a limb and you find out. Oh, my good Lord. I mean, I'm not the, not the voice of God here, but. Uh, I love The Graduate. I think it's a great, but the best parts of that movie to me are how it's shot and how it looks. It's oh, not the script. Agreed. I mean, c- come on, it's for, it's a first world problems movie. Okay, it's <laughs> so, so, okay. So it I, is. Okay, we can talk. Like, we can really talk about it. Okay, it's a first world problems. I've never movie. seen it. Don't give it away. Oh my God! Should I should I bang this young girl or should I bang her mom? Jeez, life is so hard. Um, no, like. And I'm going wa- to watch this in 20 minutes. As <laughs> <laughs> soon as this ends, you guys are leaving. <laughs> going in my bathroom. I'm Googling it. It's the Stacey's mom music video in a film. Uh, no, it, 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 listen, it's it's a great performance by Dustin Hoffman. It's a great movie. I love The Graduate. I, I like the director win for, for Mike Nichols. I, I don't think the screenplay is even close. I think that's laughable. I think this is, in the heat of the night, screenplay is a slam dunk winner in my in in my opinion. And so, lead actor. Let's get into this next. I do. I do have a, another question. We'll fire off. So we can do this all at once. Thomas J. Duncan from the uh, the GMO podcast writes: How did Steiger win for best actor over Sidney Poitier, Dustin Hoffman, Paul Newman, Spencer Tracy, and Warren Beatty? Also, was this the best single year of movies for a black actor? Poitier was in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, In the Heat of the Night, and To Serve with Love. Um, so, in in terms of the so yes, how did he win over? So Poitier wasn't nominated. So that's a little complicated there with that. The other nominees were Paul Newman for Cool Hand Luke, Dustin Hoffman for The Graduate, Spencer Tracy for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and Warren Beatty for Bonnie and Clyde. Now, uh, let me just let me know if oh, yeah, what, what what's up. Arthur? Can I rephrase the question? Do you guys think uh, Steiger was better than Poitier in this movie? That would okay. That, so, that would give it an answer to all that right, question. So let's let's hone this in and structure it, and let me know if I'm off base with any of this. Th- that conversation, I guess, we have in the MVP talk. Yeah. So we'll we'll cover it's that there. Up. To sum this up. The five nominees, Steiger, Newman, Beatty, Hoffman, and Tracy. Poitier should have absolutely been nominated here, along with Steiger. They both should have been nominated here for this movie. I don't know why he wasn't. I can only work with who was nominated. So the Steiger versus Poitier conversation is a different conversation than we'll have in the MVP. As far as this goes here, first of all, Warren Beatty and Bonnie and Clyde, bless his heart, uh, Warren Beatty, uh, come on, uh, get out of my face with Warren Beatty. He's not a good actor. He's not a good actor. And Bo- Bonnie and Clyde is a good movie. It's overrated. Warren Beatty should not be winning gold for that movie. Stop, stop with that. Um, Spencer Tracy, okay, he he was. It was a posthumous. It's a it's a it's a. We're honoring the the veteran. He already has three Oscars, right? So he's not winning this one either. So cross that off. Dustin Hoffman for The Graduate, very good, worthy of it, but they don't tend to give it to the young actors. That's another conversation. That shouldn't be the case. So, you know, you have those two conversations once. Would they have or should he have won it? Fine. 
Um, I don't think he's winning in this graduate in any way, any way you weigh or shake it. Then it comes down to Paul Newman in Cool Hand Luke or Rod Steiger in The Heat of the Night. What's the more nuanced performance? Kieran, I want your answer first because you're the more you're the you're the one who's seen these. I love Paul Newman. I love him. He's great. He's awesome. I'm, I'm never going to turn the TV off. Paul. What's the more nuanced performance, Rod Steiger or Paul Newman? I think I think we can answer that question at home ourselves here. You know, uh, it's uh, there's it's easy Have to come up with a lot movies? of reasons. Have hey. you seen both movies? Like, the more iconic role is Paul Newman and Cool and Luke, of right. course. But, but that's not what they're giving the Oscar to. Par- they're giving the Oscar to the better acting performance. So the better acting performance to me is Rod Steiger. It's, it's, it's the best performance out of these five. I'm sorry it is. It, Hoffman is the, best, is the best candidate there to beat him. But we have a very young Hoffman, and he's going to win two as he moves on here. I, to me, everyone loves to scream and yell about this one. I think they got it right with these nominees. They got it wrong with who was nominated. Sidney Poitier should have been nominated, and then we can have the conversation of who should have won out of those two, and that's a much better conversation. For well, me. I have an interesting question. Who do you think should be omitted from that if Sidney Poitier was Spencer nominated? Tracy. Spencer question. Tracy. You take out Here the veteran. Ready. Yeah. You take out the veteran who you're, who's won three times, and you know he's like you. You said it yourself earlier in the podcast, Sidney. He's playing the dad in the movie that Poitier should have been nominated in that movie. Mm. Put him in for that movie if you don't want to have two. Uh, to in the heat of the nights, and don't give me that shit because you had two Bonnie and Clyde's in the supporting actor with Hackman and Pollard. So wow. you already said that you can do that two in the same. So this is they screwed up the nominees a little bit, but I think they got the winner right. Steiger deserved this Oscar. So even if Sidney Poitier was nominated in that category, you would have still won with Steiger. Mm, that's we'll a get different to that conversation. In the MVP. We'll talk that in the MVP combo. Well, that's that's, that's I just happen. I just want to make sure. That's why, not, why spoil? Yeah. So we'll, it, you we'll know. get there next. And I just I just have to read this one because I already loves these that the ones that aren't questions just kind of statements. Fred Schaefer says, "Great film. Poitier and Steiger were magnificent in it." Period. Thanks. <laughs> we appreciate you, Fred Schaefer, and and uh, contributing to these. We want as many of these comments. Uh, and I have to say, the Revisionist Almanac out there. We got uh, Andrew Corns and and Adam Hitchcock. They put out uh, the movie missed out on the initial AFI 100, but landed in the s- number 75 on the 10th anniversary edition. What do you think it says about the continued relevancy of the story? Would it make an AFI if they do a 30th anniversary in a few years? So that's a, that's let's hold on that last question because I, I think he kind of answered his own question. With you know, the I have some feedback afterwards. for Fred Schaefer with his comment. That wasn't Fred Schaefer. No, the la- the one oh, before. Oh, you're not that. done with Fred. <laughs> no, I'm not done with Fred. Okay, let Fred, me go, man. If you, Fred, if you want to be recognized on this podcast, you obviously follow us, and you wanted to ask. Or comment or whatever. Make it relevant. Make it interesting. Make it something we can use. You just made a comment. We're not just gonna read your statement on air. I mean, I did. Yeah. Well, now this is happening. Because Fred, don't do this again. <laughs> all right. All right. Why is that constructive? Jesus. Fred, don't take that, man. Don't take that at all, man. Stay strong. Artie's, Artie's unsanctioned here. This is. We want all the comments we can get, all the response, all the interactivity we want. We Stay want strong, you to. Freddy. Yeah, but his comment us. wasn't interactive. He was literally interacting with us. That's interactive. You let Freddie get to you though. Yeah, yeah, yeah like you know, a, that in a lot of ways. Annoyed me. AJ, Thanks, Fred, for nothing. AJ, if it, let's say in a, in a few years they do uh, would be, I guess at that point it'd be. Twenty, uh, no, a couple years. Yeah, it would be the next one. So the thirtieth anniversary. Do you think this movie makes a top one hundred films of all time? <sighs> Not would you put it on? Do you think that they'll choose it? 
And that and I that, and that's the number problem. seventy-five in two thousand five. The first time it was off the list, right? The first time it yes. was off. The second time it came 75. on. Seventy-five. Okay. Does it stay on? So, in my heart of hearts, I think that this will still be on the list. Okay, Jay. I don't think so. Artie. I think it moves up. Wow. I think it moves down but stays on the list. There is a fourth option. Yeah. No, yeah. no, but can I actually say something? Yeah. I would have chosen your answer. I would have done that too <laughs> yeah. initially because yeah. I just think it's just there's just too many other films now or like too much history that's gone by. I don't know. I just I feel like I could foresee it being like excluded out of the list, something more in that realm is relevant enough in that in this time and period or whatever and puts gets put up. It's it would be an interesting talk. I think Poitier might save it. I think having his representation on the list. I think like when I think that might he might he might keep it alive. Before we even started, it already said I love doing movies that nobody knows about that we could tell everyone about. Nobody knows about this movie that I know. You know, no one I know circles. Yeah, except for you three. So does it? So I don't know. Does it lose? Does it? You know, lose. Well, remember, AFI list in, is picked by by filmmakers, so it's not they're not picked by the people. It's picked by the filmmakers. So the, you know, the Spielbergs and the Tarantinos and, and, and the it pick, It's out there free. YouTube Pluto. So like, you could watch it free. So there, obviously, someone's pushing it. But there's two countless sequels, movies. Two so, sequels. There was the um, the TV series. It was a big deal for didn't and, it win and the line. Five Oscars. People know the it wins five of it's nominated seven. It wins five, and people know the line. They call me Mr. Tibbs. They don't know what's from, but they know that line. Yeah, I knew that before this movie. I didn't know what it was from either. Yeah. Would um, they use the third cut though to take an opportunity to pick other movies from this you know universe? I, you know, I, do they shake this list around? Well, See, they definitely I, I, shake the list. It's 100 out of I, I, how many I, I, movies? They definitely shake the list around. There's so no way like, Sixth Sense is on it. There's no way Toy Story is on it. Like, so they're going to shake the list around a little bit. I think Toy Story will. No I, think, I think they identify the timelessness of this movie and move it up. Agreed with Artie. I, 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 no, I, don't, I don't think they move it up. I think, I don't think, I think it survives. I don't. I, don't. I, don't. I think it will up. go down. They're going to shave off movies that are above this. Because they could use other movies. I mean, 12 Years a Slave is so... Yeah, I think, and I, yeah. to be honest, no offense to it's not, and he and I, I think 12 Years of Slave is incredible. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's a great movie. Yeah, and there's movies we and, will have to rank against each other at some point. I think 12 Years of Slave is on that list, too. Yeah. I think that's on that list. And then it's time to go right to the awards. So we start with MVP, a loaded conversation. We will have the Oscar conversation in this mix, too. Uh, how about, you already want to go first? I'll just go first all and right. make it easy. Yeah. Uh, it's Steiger. Rod Steiger. Okay. Um, explanation. He's, he's the most dynamic performance in the movie. Poitier is awesome. I think Steiger's better. I think he's perfect. I think I don't think he misses a beat. That's okay. my answer. AJ, put you on the spot. It's okay to agree with people. It's okay it's, to disagree too. It's no. I I think I think looking back at the time, because how revolutionary it is is the uh, the role being there and at the time period and everything that's going on, especially with Selma and everything. <sighs> Steiger. He really, it really confused me because initially I was like, wait, time out. Steiger won the best actor. Like Sidney Poitier wasn't even nominated. Like, wait, this is Sidney Poitier movie. And then I'm thinking about it. It's both of them. Yeah. They're both going neck to neck. There's so many stakes, tribulations going on between both characters or whatnot and their presence in the film. And Steiger really just 
did something I didn't expect. Like when I initially watched the film prior a couple of years ago, I was so in awe of, like, of Sydney Potty because I was yeah. told that it was almost manifest in my head, projected. Well, my you head. were watching it to base yeah. your character After you were acting him. on off him. So you were watching him. But then realizing how much value and Steiger brought to the role, and there were scenes, there was times I was watching when I saw Steiger, and I was like, I'm more captivated by his nuances, how he would touch a, a glass with his finger. I was mm. watching certain things that he was doing, touching the gun behind the scene in the beginning of the film when he sat there and was touching each gun and portraying or how he put his leg, his boot on there, showing dominance. Yeah. Like... He made choices that I respect, and Next I'm like, level shit. yeah, hundred percent. Man, the rubbing yeah. the glass shit yeah. built so much tension yeah. out, of, out of nothing. Yeah, it's like that's great how we choice. Drink. That's how that's great how tactics. we drink normally. Yeah. You know, that's how we drink personally. I'm on top of you, right? Yeah, like, I'm doing uh, something. Sorry, that's his yeah, chewing um, the gum in yeah. that scene. Jay, that's his chewing the gum. Yes. My MVP, Sidney Poitier. Yeah. Let me tell you why. Do it. If you take Virgil Tibbs and replace him with, in this movie with Axel Foley, you do not get the same performance out of Rod Steiger. That performance looks like more of a character caricature of a yelling police chief. Maybe, maybe not like last action hero status, but he doesn't become taken serious, and Rod Steiger is not as magnetic and... You know, the performance is not as great. So Virgil Tibbs, played by Sidney Poitier, and the way he plays him is every, is brings out the best in Rod Steiger, which brings out the best in Sidney Poitier again, and the movie becomes ten times better. There's no way anyone yeah. else could play that role. Well, and here who's we are. The, what, yeah, who's the, who's the replacement? Is the point is like what you were If you talk about war, you They're know, wins five wars. They're both five wars. Yeah, but you can replace... Steiger with a Patton, you may not get the same movie. A Patton, a, 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 a George C. Scott, but you may not get the same movie. But you still have the. I don't yeah. know that the movie drops off the. It still right. makes the playoffs. If, you if, know, if if somebody else walks into that office in the first scene and is not staring at Rod Steiger like that, how do you know how the rest of this movie is gonna go? <laughs> how does that tone not set? You always make uh. such a good fucking argument. Why aren't you a lawyer? Like <laughs> so annoying. Like. He's a podcast. I know what you're what saying. It makes you. It makes me feel like you're right and I'm right and AJ's right. Like That's we're the beautiful all right. Thing. I know. That's the, the beautiful thing about the, it. It's the beauty of the podcast. Tiebreaker zone here. Uh, so it, this, I'm answering a lot of different questions here at once. Um, if we go to the Oscar question that we were trying to answer before, I think if they're both up, I'm very very happy with Poitier winning the Oscar for a lot of reasons. If you're asking me what the best performance in the movie is. It's Steiger, and I really don't think it's close. Uh, I think Steiger is, a, is, as AJ put it, really, I couldn't have put it better than AJ put it. He picked up so many nuances that I didn't even see. Uh, there's, and there's probably even more that we, we haven't even covered in this thing. It's, it's a wonderfully nuanced, masterful performance from a genius actor. And Poitier's, for the most part, doing the steady, eddy, strong hand, I'm this guy, doing the right thing. Go Now, there's nuance to his character, too. And, and his performance too it's a wonderful performance that is Oscar caliber in my opinion but if we're going to the true what we're asking here is value value to the movie and I'll go back to say like why would this stay on an AFI list I don't think it's going to stay on the AFI list because of Steiger's performance I think it's going to stay on for the social importance of Sidney Poitier 
So I think if we're talking about strict value to the movie, the most valuable piece of this movie is Sidney Poitier. And, and that's not even bringing up the fact that there's no replacement. And I had Rod Steiger as my MVP coming into this. Jay, you convinced me. Um, I, I did. I had Steiger. Isn't Jay so annoying? With right. You convinced me. I had Steiger so written down. I'd, and then did. AJ said Steiger, and I'm like, oh, wow. No, I originally, I originally had Sydney beforehand, before yeah. and then I couldn't even question it. I actually talked I, I talked to my girlfriend about it. I was like so like flabbergasted. I was like, I, I'm going into this. I'm, I'm Steiger. Like, I like, it was like. <laughs> what did she do? She was like, no, like, that's, it makes sense. Yeah. Like, it, for me personally, it, I literally sat there and I was like, he was so tactful mm. and, you know, being maybe, maybe from a little bit from the acting field or whatever, like, it, you could just tell, like, he has, like, muscle memory. He has things that from his past that he generated into his role. Like, every mm. single thing that he did had some personal essence around him. And it was, even though, this is going to sound crazy, even though Sidney Poitier was the one who was more, like, silent, direct, you know, as you said, stoic. Steiger seemed a little flat, fast talking, but in my head when I was watching him or whatever, it was very slow. Subtle. Like He like was so, way more thoughtful yeah. than yes. he came off because he was fast talking. Yes. But the scene when he approaches the guys attacking during the pipe fight. When he when he approaches the guys <laughs> attacking, he's like, "Yeah, you guys, fantastic." Can you say he that the... again. I couldn't hear you. Like he's so chill and relaxed. It's like, yeah, like, he didn't come running in to break up a fight. No. He walked in and said, "Hey, look at the uniform." Yeah, yeah but look because at also if he how... ran in. If he ran in, he would have been attacked by four guys with pipes, and yeah. they would beat the shit. Yeah, he would have ensued so chaos. He was survivalist. They but, were, uh, they're consistent with that. Look at Sidney Poitier though, the one who's calm, quiet, like slow, almost slow moving in a sense or whatever. How he does things and maneuvers things. He's in there rapidly doing all that stuff. It's just such the juxtaposition. It's just insane. Brilliant if you filmmaker. look at it detail for detail, how they contrast each other, but they're so similar in a sense. Like, don't you love this podcast? <laughs> oh, <laughs> folks, I enjoy it. I really do. I'm very appreciate. I'm listening to some three other knowledgeable men. So this is really like amazing talking film. So please definitely follow them. Like they're amazing. But if they're listening here, they're they're already following. It's, 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 it's the few and the proud. I don't. <laughs> When you watch it from an analytical yeah. point of view. That's what I said. I literally said this. I was like, in my head, I was like, this guy is actually killing it. And I yeah. literally was rooting for this other gentleman. It made me a little biasy because of, you know, you know, race. I, hey, unfortunately, but was going after Endicott, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, oh, well, not Endicott was, I mean. <laughs> God damn it, Colonel Sanders. Yeah, I mean, come on, man. Endicott was like, hey, like, you know, like, I said, I get said. them all, <laughs> round them up, <laughs> everybody, everybody. Yeah, oh no, he definitely needed to get slapped, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. slap the taste out of him and cry after. Uh, oh man, what a choice yeah. to leave that scene in, too. By the way, of him crying alone. Yeah. Did you guys find it interesting too, like the the way they shot? the scene in, in that scene like the elevation aspect or like how like the flowers and stuff were like higher in a sense or what beautiful just so many things i was like wow yeah, so many the, subtleties to this movie and you, you can see why rod steiger would get upset when someone calls him over the top because of all the subtleties he chose yeah. in this movie this isn't yeah. this isn't an over the top right. performance for me it's a really honed <laughs> right. in 
performance of a lifetime. If yeah. he was bland, this movie sucks. It's boring. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, if he doesn't it's, have it's, as much of a dynamic I don't personality know that it's as he does. boring, but it's basic. It it's definitely basic. basic. It's, it's like, a, it. oh, that was entertaining enough. So can there's I ask, it. It did, if he went the hard exterior aspect where he would have been, like, very racist blatantly. That also wouldn't have worked. Okay, that I just wanted to ask. Because I, I think it would have never, like, the complexity this between the two is, characters is, like, phenomenal. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, yeah, he has a hard time. Uh, um, Stagger has a hard time because he, he's portrayed as, like, oh, he's the southerner cop or whatever, like, racist or whatever. And he's judging this black, you know, officer or whatever. But it goes the same way because, you know, he could judge him as a white officer and be like, is he ra- like, is he a problem? Is he all these things? And you see like the like how he's not like that. Like, see, sorry, go, go go. I got so what originally what you were about to say before you said, but he's not like that. Is I think he is like that. I oh, think okay. I think Poitier is is wisely judging him, going, is this oh, guy no. racist or not racist? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I, and I, I, he, I and he goes, I'm he's not racist. They're all racist. Okay, so Tiger's think... not. They're all. Okay. Oh, uh, for, for, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I gotta say, one of the, probably one of the best MVP conversations we've ever had on the, this podcast. Dude, uh, I, really, I told Just you, Jay. A, a great debate and good, good insight there. So, LVP. We're not done yet. LVP. LVP. Let's yeah, get easy like going. Praying. You have an easy LVP. Yeah. Okay. What do you What do you got, Artie? Dolores Purdy. Me too. The Lord. I said a lot. So I'm jumping to my recap. <laughs> oh my god! You guys god. ever seen? The, you guys ever seen the movie U-Turn? No. Wait, oh, no. no. Jennifer Lopez. J Lo in U-Turn is my recast for this because she would actually sedel me on her seductive. I love that conversation. Yeah, of course you do. And here we are for the times. There we are. Three out of four. Dolores. Okay. Hey, jumping, jumping with the recast. Dolores. A what that, a but I'll allow it. What I'll a bore. It. What a bore. <laughs> I don't share the same sentiment as you guys. I actually thought she did an admirable job. Okay. I thought it was a fine, serviceable, maybe not admirable, but serviceable <laughs> job. I thought you're she had a couple by, of. You're seduced by the juice. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I don't know. I, no I, comment. I, I'm surprised that all three <laughs> of you jumped on it. I am sticking to the Purdy family, though. Uh, I'm going after the, <laughs> I'm going really? after the brother. Josh Brolin? I'm going after the brother. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he was good. I thought he was actually the only one in the movie who was a character, who Very was concerned. over the top, who was just kind of, this is just, I'm the angry brother, and no one's going to talk to my sister that way. It's like okay, this guy's real nuanced here, you know. Like, uh, you know, yeah. which <laughs> it's just like that. He was that he was like right out of the cookie cutter southern town, you know. He does go after Ralph at the end though, doesn't he? I read up on the law. You can't sleep with a sixteen-year-old in this state. I think. I know the law, damn it. <laughs> Unless you're yeah. related. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we love our listeners in Mississippi. We're not uh, casting any dispersions on you. We don't have listeners. I think in he was just like, thank Give you. it up. God, he was so good. He's like, I know uh, the law. Yeah, thank no, he, you. that was the LVP. That was a, uh, that that was just uh, 
just a cookie cutter character for me. There's nothing, nothing there. And also, those poor three person, of like, us, I love this. Didn't give me anything page. visually. It looked kind of like all the other guys in the movie. Like at least give me like someone with like a Fu Manchu or something. So you don't think it was distinct? You don't think it was distinct enough? What is that? Not accent? distinct enough. Yeah. Can we yeah. also talk yeah, like, about how the, bad Dolores was at acting. Give me like a, a version of the the red haired guy with the Fu Manchu in, in South Park. Yeah, they took our germs. <laughs> damn it! Like give me one of those. I also wanted to bring up another South Park reference. The slap scene in the greenhouse. Slapping you, slapping you, slapping you. Because you're disrespecting me. Participation award. Give a little love to someone along the way that deserves a little a little recognition here. Jay, participation award. Rod Steiger's gum chewing. Wow. So prevalent. <laughs> and I only picked up on it like the third, no, second time around. And by the third time, I was like, yes, yes. Like going up and down with his jaw as he's talking. So it was great. It's it's right there on your face. It's a great it's right mannerism. Mannerism. <laughs> AJ, participation award. No, I, I actually did like a participation award was Sydney Poitier's different suit changes in oh, the uh, in the film. I actually was flexing the wardrobe. I was every scene I seen. Wow. I was like, great, but then he wore the same suit and then different tie. At one point, so I was like, <laughs> "Would it have been better?" <laughs> Who's counting? <laughs> Would have been a better movie if he had like the Better Call Saul approach, oh, just yeah. like every every different color. <laughs> Artie, your participation award. Uh, the cinematographer does a great job. Haskell Wexler, Artie, cinematographer of. Uh, also, we went for the Cook's Nest, as we said before. Yep. He's a uh, man, uh, very steady hand with the camera. Yep. Uh, smart guy. There. I'm gonna give uh, my participation award to to the great Quincy Jones. Great job. Yes. Or even Ray, Ch- Ray Charles, too. Yeah. yeah. I give it. I mean, here yeah. in the heat of the night. Like you said, they play it several times. How y'all doing? I know my name is Ray Charles. I'm making it do what I do, baby. Yeah. Quincy Jones, though, just really, honestly, the score knew when to dial back, too. Wasn't This is not one where you want them hitting you in the face with how to feel. Uh, stuffing music down your throat. They hit little touches. Gotta love that that needle drop there with the uh, the, the howl, the foul owl the f- on the prowl, foul owl on the prowl. Really? If you though. hear his hoot, scoop. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, what a needle drop! <laughs> so good. I have a question. If you catch his eye, bye. <laughs> Artie. How did you guys feel about the lack of music in the car chase when he's getting bumped? Yeah, uh, I, don't, I didn't need. Fine. I didn't need like um, not a necessity for me. I think it was actually perfect I the way it, it was. Really well. Yeah, I didn't need the Dukes of Hazard there. I think it would have been more the cartoony fashion. It would have been me, shitty yes, with, with like, like dun, so, yeah. Dun, 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 yeah. more tension. Like, yeah, more the tension Looney Tunes style. like yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. that you were talking about. Really. Uh, yeah. Them boys yeah, gonna realism. catch him yeah. or what? He's and and all and. Quincy Jones was perfectly like southern bluesy jazzy mm-hmm. 60s. Yeah. It sounded great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, time machine recast. Take anyone, any point in time, be it the 20s, be it the 2020s. I'll go throw first. them into this movie, pick a spot, throw them in there. Jay. I'll go first. This one's for Artie. I'm going to recast Endicott with Christopher Plummer. Ah! Oh, wow. wow! Bring it back to the sound. Stop! I can only get so erect. Bring it back to the sound of yeah, music. Really, that was well, a really a great choice. Really great choice. In a beautiful in sixty-seven, he's gonna be so aged so finely, like a wine. In a beautiful mind, I recasted Christopher Plummer, so I just reinstated him now. So oh. now we're good. Oh. Um, Artie, you said yours already. Did Jennifer Lopez? Halo and U-turn as Miss Perry. She would have been more seductive. AJ, do you have one? 
So I actually brought up his name earlier, but for Sidney Portier's character, I thought of Jonathan Majors. The guy from... Uh, from uh, Ant-Man uh, movie. The one who's actually going through a court case right now. Um, from Creed 3. From Creed 3. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he plays Kang in uh, the Marvel series. Oh, okay. Phenomenal actor. It's a quiet, nuanced performance where he it's everything he does. And if you watch his performances, not loud in the sense of outwardly, but everything he says or whatever is outwardly in that sense because it speaks volumes. So, um, and subtextually too. And every time he delivers a monologue or any type of like, uh, I don't know, line, it's just, it resonates. So, yeah, I love him. I'm a big Creed guy. Big Creed guy, but haven't seen Creed three yet. Is it worth checking out? Have you? Uh, yes, Creed. I think it's a really good movie. I think it's better than Creed two. So, Ooh, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lone defender of Creed two. I'm like a oh really man on an island. Yeah, I love Creed two. I love oh. uh, I, like I love Drago too. getting emotional. You know that. Oh that's yeah, funny. my time machine recast. Okay, so I've recast the brother, Mr. Purdy, <laughs> and I am choosing an actor who I have criticized often in the past, but I'm giving a little love to our. Uh, our uh, revisionist almanac friends who think that this is a generational actor who should be leading every movie or whatever. Uh, but no, I think he'd work perfect in this role because uh, I want to turn that brother character into less of the like stereotypical Southern, don't mess with my daughter. I want to talk him, turn him into like more of a whiny, petulant, kind of um, more nuanced character here. I got Paul Dano coming in as the brother in this one. <laughs> And really kind of chewing up some scenery there and that. In that. Get him out of the room! Get him out of the room as my sister! You know, really kind of go, going, going in on that. So, Like take Dano's preacher from There Will Be Blood, but make him you know, yeah. like twist him yep. a little bit. Yeah. Put him in there a little bit. He's underrated, I feel like, a little bit. Like Paul in Dano? His, yeah, Paul Dano. He's good like, in the fable, man. And Prisoners? Do you remember Prisoners? Prisoners like, pretty yes. Yes. With Hugh Jackman yeah. and them? Yeah, yeah. And Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. The Batman stinks. The Batman does think. And, okay. and, and, that's and the, next topic. going to cap off the revisionist almanac. Piece, so. The Adam West Boom. Batman. Next episode. <laughs> we have a lot to discuss. We have one to we fives do. coming up. We have cutting on the floor coming up. The Adam West Batman's better than the Batman. Okay. Um, okay. Can we talk later? Cutting room floor. Take a scene or scenes out of the movie. Anything you can do to trim this thing. I mean, this is a cool... 150 here. I would like to hear if you guys have anything for this because I might um, break a BBC rule here with this one. You don't have anything? I kind of think this movie's perfectly edited. I think this is... I don't think there's a scene that can be lost uh, out of this. Uh, maybe their scene could be nuanced or changed a little bit, but I don't think... I actually think this is kind of the model for what a movie should be. I'll shave 10 seconds off the pipe fight. Okay, just yeah, just shorten the pipe fight a little bit, make Something it more of a scuffle editing. and done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have him walk in sooner. AJ, anything from this movie that you could pluck out, or any scenes that didn't really work for you that you? Honestly, I I mean, for a minute, what what did we say? Fifty. One fifty. One fifty one. One fifty one. Okay, yeah. I I think I mean it's I mean that's a short I mean not a short movie but I mean it's, it's a short movie. It's yeah. Short movie. Nowadays, yes, it's a short yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I think it's. It's fine. Maybe if I rewatch it, I might have some differences about my opinion. But for right now, I think it's okay. 
Yeah, I would agree. Jake? I just racked my brain for two minutes, couldn't think of anything. Yeah, no, I, I actually oh, I actually right. think it's... Because everywhere really what, they go, anything, something's happening. Add five minutes. Discovered, add know? five minutes of a little character development here a or there. And maybe bit, if yeah. you, you felt like you need a little more juice in the killer, give it a little, yeah, a little scene little with, the, yeah. with uh, you know, the owl himself. If anything, you know? add some more. Yeah, yes, the owl's one. on the prowl. <laughs> this is now, this is the end of the season. This is the first season we had that category, so... We're ending the season the right way. Scene of the movie. Scene of the movie, Artie. Uh, the greenhouse scene. Mm-hmm. The second it starts till the second it ends. It's it's pivotal. It's awesome. Dynamic. Phenomenal. It's a great choice. AJ, scene of the movie. I was tied, uh, if that's okay. But uh, the greenhouse and then the scene at the house when they're drinking. I think I, I'm, I'm going to lean towards the more moment in the house with them together. Uh having that scene together and kind of sharing these stories a little bit, how you realize like there's a lot of hurt and pain between both of them. And it displays this level of friendship, like the camaraderie that they have with one another, even though it's like, it doesn't showcase it right then and there, but you realize it in the end, like, oh man, like they've gone through this journey together. Oh, sorry, this journey together. And at the end of the day, they're good people, both of them, no matter what the stance can be like white, black or whatnot. Also my scene of the movie and you know, we talked a lot about Steiger in that movie, but there's one look that Poitier does in that when Steiger asks if he's ever been married and he says no and he goes, You ever been close? And he gives a look. No, he's and he ever says, You ever been close to it? And he pauses and yeah. gives a look and then he goes he waits and I was waiting for the words he was gonna choose and he goes close to it. And that moment tells a whole other movie. Yep. There's a whole other story out there, and it could mean anything to anyone watching the movie. It could literally, you fill in that blank however you want to do it. A second's pause creates a whole narrative backstory behind a character. That is brilliant filmmaking. And it was Brilliant improvised. and brilliant acting. The two of them Acting! Just, the two of them just, like... Fucking acting boned in that yeah, scene. Dude, like they went after it yeah. and just killed it. Yeah. And, but and all uh, credit, credit, credit is deserved to Norman Jewison for setting that up and coming up with that scene and, and feeding Rod Steiger with alcohol. Yeah. Can I just also say too? I I don't know if now I'm thinking about it now and recollecting it, but for Steiger's character, for the chief to sit there and it's and and I'm gonna bring race a little bit into it, like being like African American, but like. I think like when I saw Steiger sit there, like almost being like in a sense of like you think you have it harder to like I have it just as hard like right like right and I know it's gonna sound crazy what people are gonna think like when oh, I'm saying this right now. Who's the class system? But like yeah, uh, classism. Yeah. Thank you. That's yeah. what I was going about. Right. Like basically being like it's yeah. I, I know this you get place. it. I have this, this place. Yeah. This is my place. Like, this is the, all I have. This when is, you, I don't have a family. I don't have a wife. With the currency that you would aspect, like the job my I'm pay doing. rate. How you're saying like you're making more than me. And I realized that, like, in that scene, and and that's why, Jay, when you said it, like, that might be, like, my favorite scene, actually, in the entire, entire film. Like... It is. Because there's a lot of layers that's there. Yeah. Like, and I saw, like, how everything was set up. The beer on his side, like, all these things that's happening or whatever. How he, like, you could tell, like, he's hurt. Like, he's been going through so much. Like, he's not being accepted in life. And he got this job as a chief or whatnot, and it's... People don't really think of him as a you know maybe a good officer or he's whatnot. He's lonely. He's not happy. Yeah. And and, and, and guess guess who's get, guess who's coming to dinner? You, because you're the only person who's been here in, in yeah. since I've moved in. Say, he literally doesn't said, he say you're the first person that's ever, ever been, been in my inside house? these walls? Yeah. yeah. 
That's think about that line in itself. That's fucking lonely. That's a lonely thing. Brilliant character development in one line. One line. You're the first person. That scene. That scene is one of my favorite scenes in any movie we've covered in this podcast so far. This movie is really gonna. It's gonna be like an electric. Like a lightning bolt in the middle of everyone's ranking. It's gonna make some waves as the fifteenth film in the season. <laughs> That's how it works. Movies. Jake, oh. scene of the movie. Cap us off. Uh, the greenhouse. Tied. Yeah, I love a good tie. See, the, I love the ties going on in this film, though. That's the way it is. Is there's so much know. balance. Yes. Well, that's a that's yes. a balanced greenhouse film. Greenhouse is is really a powerful scene. Yes. It's it, awesome. Like yeah. one of the most powerful scenes. Also, like you think this guy is Endicott, is a good guy. Because he's interested that... How about the lighting? Wait. The lighting in the scene. It's yeah, bright. Phenomenal. It's happy. But he, it's he's, wonderful. He's interested but it's evil. In, he's interested in... The scene's evil, but it's lit like heaven. That's how even that's how evil is, though. It's deceptive. Yeah. yeah. So Endicott comes off as being interested in the fact that Poitier is into botany. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, oh, what's your favorite orchid? And he he's, picks one. He's like, it's interesting you would choose that. And then he's like, it's the one but needs care and attention to 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 survive. Like yeah, I thought he was a, and becomes I thought he exactly. was a good guy. Exactly. But then he like, <laughs> he like convinced exactly. himself by he's like, ah, I thought you were smart, but you picked the plant that needs the most attention. And that makes a lot of sense. And then this but, guy has just in in front of us justified his own racism. Yeah, and it's, his disguise it's, it's is melting in the sun. Yep, like, you know, all of a sudden you absolutely. see it's just true. Yeah. It's, but it's, Virgil... But, but that, that dialogue is phenomenal. Virgil tricks him into telling him the, about the fern root. So he's, well, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm into well, plants. And he's so smart. Brilliant. that he, he probably faked being into plants. He just knew so much about plants. When he goes in... Now the, he's going to use it against him. When that one line, he's like, oh, what kind of, uh, what kind of uh, soil do you need to yeah, grow this root? That's it. And he's like... like Oh, that's Osmunda. That's fern root. Yeah. And and Steiger looks at him and he's like, "Stop doing it." That's what you just said before we walked in. I didn't know what those words meant. Uh, St- Steiger's like, I role you were speaking another language, and now he just said the same word. God damn it! Steiger's role is the f- Steiger's role is the fly in the wall in that scene. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's like, yeah, it's yeah, the only yeah, time yeah. he looks like a fly. It's the, in the only wall. time in the movie that Steiger's coming off the bench and he's sitting there like, "Oh God, oh geez, Steiger, jeez." So here are the nominations that got. All right, it, it, it won for picture, lead actor Steiger, screenplay, won for sound, it won for editing. It was also nominated for director and sound effects. Okay. Mm-hmm. So of those, if it could only win one of those, along with picture, what would you give it to? I, I almost want to say director for risking their career, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which he did, which he very much did. Um, I mean, so if that's a solid choice, then I actually am going to go with that. Then so you could give Norm <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, yeah, I was like, thank you. I read the room, okay. folks. I mean, I, I, I mean, you, you're risking your career. A bold choice, and it worked out. So, yeah. Yeah. so he said he was going into that Oscars as very much an underdog, and they're like, hey, you know, if we can get a couple of awards, this yeah. He's like, we won, we won editing. And he's like, oh god, we won editing, nice. And then he won uh, sound. It's like, oh great, good sound, that's good. It's like, and then. And then Sterling and Steiger won for screenplay and actor. And he's like, oh, my God, this might be our night. This is incredible. Like, we're not actually with it. Because it was like there were all these other films. There were huge films that were up. They were an underdog, underdog coming into this. He goes, and then director comes up and Mike Nichols wins it. He goes, oh, shit. <laughs> Goddamn. 
I guess I'm not going to win. <laughs> he goes, and then we went for a picture, and everyone was happy. We went yeah. up for pictures. Poor, that, poor Norm. Poor Norm. He did a great job, uh, though. Yeah. Ups, he made a near perfect film. Six times, number film. one. Yeah. Near perfect film. Norman. The Hurricane already? Have you seen The Hurricane with Denzel? Yeah. He directed The Hurricane, too. Moonstruck. Good one. Good one, AJ. It's good. It's good. Good, uh, not great. I don't think it's Denzel, one of Denzel's top five, but it's Just good. And Steiger's in that, too, as the I, judge. Actually, might be a top oh, five. I shouldn't ooh, say that. BPC yeah. question. Are you, AJ, are you a Man on Fire fan? Oh, I think Man on Fire is incredible. AJ, can incredible. you do one Can you do one for it's us? incredible. Ladies and gentlemen, this is, um, this is from um, American Gangster. They tried to kill my wife! <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my well favorite done. Denzel quotes. So, yeah, well sure, Already, if it can only win one of those awards, Steiger. Steiger, okay. Yeah, that's not a wrong answer. It's Jay, same thing, Best not in your actor. head. Yeah. I'm going to go screenplay. I think this is one of the better adapted screenplay wins ever. I think they had not only were they dealing with all the social issues, kind of a dated book, also, this, the, we didn't even bring up the Hayes Code. All the shit they could, they weren't allowed to do. Wait, this is wait, the wait, end wait. of the Hayes this Code This was period. during the Hayes Code? The very end of it. And it was a little oh, so extra tense on race. So like they were all over them with the with the nudity scenes. They were all over them with the abortion scenes. There was a lot of like, they were mm. battling. And this and there were a lot of people, I'm sure, who probably didn't want this movie to come out to begin with, as AJ said, with the director risking his. But to put that to paper and to come up with this and understand the scenes that needed to be ad-libbed say hey let's let the actors handle this and not and i i think it's a, a brilliant screenplay win so uh that's good my choice, choice. but, but choice. dude steiger good should choice. win the director the sound is brilliant in this we talked about that too yeah we yeah. will slowly learn the sound effects are good and i think it's a perfectly edited film too yeah i know, agree so. with that well, right. every little thing oh, you don't agree it. that's okay the pipe the, the pipe scene is not perfect and if, yeah, if would any perfect you know uh, yeah, but I, I don't know that the editor had much to work with there. So that's my only point with that. If you're going to win for all of these except for one, is anyone going to not pick sound effects? Because it's already winning for sound. <laughs> no arguments. I winning think for sound, sound and sound effects? Right. Well, one for sound that it was nominated for, for sound effects scene, but didn't win. It. That sounds that sounds right. <laughs> that, yeah. Pip, yeah. that pipe scene already. Come on, yeah. man. Yeah. It claps. <laughs> the chain? You know, like the chain sound? Um, before we do the one to fives, I want to throw out there recommends if you just watched in the heat of the night another movie you would recommend for people to watch uh Artie. heat heat in the heat of the night just cut it down to one word heat, <laughs> which you finally saw this month you've been bringing it up several times so this is if you like two characters that are like kind of opposing but kind of similar i mean yeah i mean it checks out he he checks out and and i promise you'll like it and it doesn't feel long yeah on on Netflix, finally on Netflix for everybody. Yeah, free on Netflix. Yeah. Doesn't feel like two hours fifty minutes. AJ, would you would you pick for your first recommend for the people? So for the people and for you guys, uh, I actually chose Mississippi Burning. Ooh, great choice. Couldn't not think of that movie watching this one. Uh, I think Gene Hackman, Gene Hackman, and uh, William Defoe, like younger William Defoe. Uh, great performances, by the way. Uh, I think the story is compelling. I think it's relative. Um, if you kind of want to go in that genre, genre and have that discussion, you know, about systematic, systematic racism and things that are going on in the South. Um, and yeah, phenomenal performances, especially a detective story, who done it, who was like the one who committed the crime mm -hmm. and whatnot. So yeah, I uh, highly recommend it. So totally with you. Get Michael Rooker as a as a, yes, a grizzly. I you forgot about a that grizzly yes, Ku yes, Klux yes, Klan yes, member. Yes, yes. 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 Uh, Great choice, and I thought and that was in the that. '80s, by the way. Too, so. yeah, it was. It was up for against uh, Lost Rain Man. Yeah, Jay. I don't know, man. 
this is a tough one. I'm gonna ju- I'm gonna go with Twelve Angry Men, so you can watch a lot. Of Great choice, people. by the you way. Watch man. a lot of people yeah. going back and forth at each other. You know? so yeah. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. Uh, okay, so it's I'm one of ours too as well. I'm gonna go one a sweaty movie on a Got train. It. Oh, I forgot to mention before another movie, another sweaty movie on my list that I bring Body Heat. Yes. Kathleen Turner <laughs> yeah. and William Hurt. Oh my That's god. That's a sweaty ass movie. And there's sweaty. some sweaty. Yes. Very sweaty. Very sweaty. A lot of sweat. Yeah. All right, so my recommend is actually we'll bring it back to Spencer Tracy since I uh, told him he should get his Oscar nomination taken away. Don't think that I've used this one before. If I have, I apologize. But this, to me, is totally on par with this movie here. The movie's called Bad Day at Black Rock. And Spencer Tracy plays a, uh, a war veteran who heads to the small town on a train that never stops at this station. So they just see the train go by every day. And this day, because he's going there, it happens to stop. And the whole town... Is in an uproar. Why is there an outsider here? What's going on? And he's going there to deliver a, a, I believe it's a war medal to someone's father. And he can't find this man in the town. And they're like, every time he asks where he is, they're like, who's who's asking? Who's asking? The more he's in this town, the more the town kind of closes in on him. And and he has to kind of figure out the mystery as to what happened to the man he's trying to deliver the medal to. So really good movie. That sounds cool. Bad Day at Blackrock. Just pitching it. Yeah, Preston Sturge is directed. Uh, totally worth watching. Also under two hours. Cl- quick, clean movie. And a good uh, showcase of what Spencer Tracy can do. So, Great. Yeah. Good, clean, fun. Good, clean. <laughs> Decent. Fun. Ernest Borgenine in that one, too. <laughs> Great Ernest oh, Borgenine. nice. We'll hash out those one to fives. Performances is the first category. The second category is how the movie looks, how it's shot, how it's presented on screen. And then the third category would be themes how the story is told. So performances, how it's performed, how the movie looks, and then how the story is told and the themes that exist within it. We're going to start with performances. Artie, I'm going to go to you. Performances in In the Heat of the Night. Two dynamic lead male performances. One very strong female performance uh, in Mrs. Colbert. Who we really had not done a lot of talking about. We didn't about. talk she about was her. wonderful She's, in this She was very Lee good. Lee Grant. Yeah, she did a great job. Her and Poitier scene together was very good. Yeah, really just two scenes, and she really crushes it. Yeah. And then the scene of her demanding that he Who stay are on the you case. people? Yeah, yeah. like, he, she's so rational. It's like such yeah. a wake-up call. Yeah. Uh, her, She was phenomenal. And, uh, Agreed. You know, the ancillary characters in the background are all memorable. And, and Harvey. You know, great, Courtney. Courtney's great. The uh, the guy who's got the brother Harold who didn't want to Harvey plays game. a great town. <laughs> Harv, yeah, Courtney's brother Harold. Yeah, no, best. you told my brother. I think that's... I spoke to your brother by the way. You didn't tell him fix that goddamn door. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Courtney, <laughs> now you tell Courtney. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna give the acting. I'm gonna give it a five, man. Five for performances from Artie. Locking in the five for in the heat of the night. Jay, five. Yeah, AJ. I'm going to say five across the board. Um, I think everyone brought their uh, unique perspective or whatever to the role. It's perfectly well acted, especially for that time and whatnot, and it's compelling. Yeah, I'm going to lock this in as a clean sweep at the five. Uh, To me, it's the quintessential five. You have two lead acting performances that are award-winning caliber. You have uh, a supporting actress should have been nominated. Uh, performance and every part of the ensemble did just what was asked of them 
Um, had to almost even nitpick to find an LVP, to be completely honest with you. It's a wonderfully performed movie. It should be what every movie strives to be in such a kind of small town story. You know, it's, it's a small crew. There's not uh, mass amounts of people here, but easy five for me. Easy they five. all have to be good, and they all were good. How the movie looks, how it's shot, how it's presented on screen. Uh, Artie, I'm going to put the pressure on you again and give it back to you here. So there were some really interesting shots in this to start off. The chase scene with the, the zoom in on the bridge. Um, dude, it's a five. It's a five. Locking five again five. on how it looks. I, like, I was hesitant to do this, but it's a five. Yeah. Jay? I like it. I'll say a five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, AG, I'll take the pressure off of you. And uh, I'll say this movie is sneakily, <laughs> sneakily brilliant without shots. I mean, sneakily. it really is. It's not. This is not Lawrence of Arabia. This no. is not the Deer Hunter. This is not mm. two movies that we're going to rank it against. It's not trying to be that though. Mm. It's not giving you this epic, grand, sweeping vision of of a land far away. No, this is a small, stuffy, uncomfortable town and we're gonna try to show it to you and i don't think they could show it to us any better very good point uh and Artie, you even brought up about how it even pioneers some of the film techniques i think it's a five i think it's a five gordon willis vibes yeah yeah aj Five. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Incredible. Uh, uh, finally, themes, stories, how it's told. I'm going to take some pressure off on this one again, too, here. Whatever devices I have issue with, with the, the murder mystery of it all and the tropiness of that, gets heavily carried and floated up by how important the grander themes of this thing are. You know, they're, they're, we're telling a bigger story, and if we want to throw the MacGuffins and the red herrings of the world, the real MacGuffin and the real red herrings of the world is the murder mystery. Like, that's just a way to keep you engaged. But we're telling a much grander story here. Um, I think the themes, uh, for them to exist and last over 60 years now, right? going to be almost 60 years for 55 years are brilliant it's a five it's a five 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 for me there it is i couldn't have said it any better myself <laughs> i give it a five aj so it's interesting um i mean of course it's like racism and whatnot is a, a prevalent theme in this prejudices and all that i actually this is kind of sound really crazy to me because i took it from a different perspective this time around while watching it the development of friendship and the bond between these two people like it's it's really kind of like unparalleled like i didn't realize at that time like i see these people coming from these different perspectives and one person who's like this eloquent be like being and like trying to like showcase like hey like i'm trying to tell you what to do because i'm the smartest man in the room like you said beforehand and the other guy being like well how dare you but he has he's not dumb like he's a very intellectual son and being a whatever and he's trying to showcase that back to him as well and i just like the parallel between the two like even though if you saw from a perspective where you're like oh yeah he's a clueless the clueless white man in this film or whatever or like the like the smart intellectual black man it's like should be the one-dimensional yeah it's it's just more than that like if you really watch it like from like a perspective like a different angle there's so many things between these two. The dichotomy between these two is just like in sync. Like it's and they have problems. 
that have nothing to do with the conflict with each yes. other. Like they have personal problems. Yes. They have yes. issues. They have, they have outside of all this that have nothing to do with their conflict. Yes. Yeah. That we don't even know about. Yeah. It's a, yeah. yeah. And maybe that was harder. Maybe that yeah. was work. And that was the work that was going on in between them, like the character work or whatnot. And I can appreciate that. But as an audience, we have to work to learn yeah. about them. Because they're giving us hints. They're not telling us everything. No. Yes. No. Sorry if I was... So ra- no, just give us a number, no. AJ. Oh, uh, sorry, folks. Uh, five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> five. Five. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. So it's just me, right? Oh, yeah. You're up in the bottom of the ninth. Themes are one catch I... catch that fly ball in center field. Yeah. 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 Themes are one I struggle with. This movie doesn't just handle themes well. It kind of handles them perfectly. Like, just touches upon them and lets you do the work. And it's it's evidenced by that scene where, where uh, Steiger's like, you know, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to respond. That's how people should feel in that situation. There's social pressure, but there's also human pressure to know what's right. Like, you have, you're an intellectual. You have a brain. Like, there's social pressure in that situation, but there's intellectual pressure. This whole movie is kind of intellectual versus social pressure. Kind of like finding their way, and I, it's a vibe. Yeah. <laughs> and movies shouldn't... Good, I mean, man. it just nails all good those stuff. things. Good I completely stuff. agree with just you. Movies shouldn't them. feel the responsibility to give you an answer huh. on these issues. Like, no. No. I don't... They didn't know then. We don't know now. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of questions. And I and, don't know. Yeah. He says, I, I don't know. And that movie... There's and a that, mystique about know. it a little bit. There's like, a mystique, yeah. absolutely. And yeah. that, that scene can be viewed decades upon decades and different people can have different conversations. This movie could have came out last week filmed in the same film and I'd be like, this is a great movie. Should we have our best picture this year? 1 to 92s will throw it out there. How high can can it go, Artie? Don't go to me first. Hey, we're ending the season with a 5-5-5. Don't go to me first. Let's go. That's a clean, sweet 5-5-5-5. We don't have many of those. This is the best year of of our live situation. I think you were one of the ones that didn't give them a (laughs) 5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-5-
also kind of rare that I'm excited for the note-taking watch. This is one where I was genuinely excited for the note-taking watch. Like, I wanted to see some of these scenes again. I yeah. wanted to live in, in some of this. Again. I kept yeah. forgetting to write notes because I was just watching. That happened to me. <laughs> oh, that happened to me I as well. I only have yeah. one page of yep. notes and yeah. I usually yeah. have just, two. Just, <laughs> just well, Jake, again. you said it simply. I couldn't take my eyes off the screen. Yeah. 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 It's so, yeah. so dynamic. Oh, it's such a hidden gem. Okay, one last thing, AJ. It's like it never ends here, I know. This isn't a Who Should Have Won podcast, but we do discuss the other movies that were up for Best Picture in the year. So, AJ, this is where we just kind of throw these movies out. If you've seen them, comment them. If you haven't, we just shrug our shoulders. Realize. This is a rare episode. We've kind of hashed out some of them already anyway. So, uh, it's five films. We'll start first with... We're going to start here with a film that I cannot... <laughs> Fucking believe is nominated for Best Picture. Uh, I forgot about this. We haven't mentioned it yet. It's Doctor Doolittle. <laughs> Wait, that with Rex Harrison. Oh, stop it! After for what? the technological achievements, like I, uh, no, really. I guess the '60s were still hanging on to the Oliver <laughs> for the animals for the animals. Yeah, yeah. 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 they mistreated her. <laughs> <laughs> I got him. I got him. I got him. It was difficult times, but they had to make a choice. <laughs> Directed by Richard Fleischer after... Jesus Christ. I can't even read the description. After the animal communicating veterinarian goes too far for his clientele, he and his friends escape their hometown to sea in search of the great pink sea snail. Yes, That doesn't course. make any sense. <laughs> That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Doctor Doolittle, starring Rex Harrison, Samantha Eager. I, I, I this is. I mean, I was a, Richard Attenborough. Uh, Doctor Hammond is in the movie, though. Was he narrate it? Uh, uh, we have a T Rex. Oh, we have a, We have it. A, a Doctor Doolittle, a, talk to our T Rex. I don't know what else to say about Doctor Doolittle. I, I, as a, as a nine-year-old kid, I thought this movie stunk. So I, 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 I hear. I was forced. Thirty to years watch later, this. what do you want me to you say? You guys were forced. I was oh, forced to watch this in fourth grade by Mrs. Sullivan. So were you in class? Why? Why are we watching this in class? Is it just a babysitting thing? Or? Oh, is it probably? Like, is it better than the Eddie Murphy version? There's no good version. But there's of also, Doolittle. but there's the also, Downey version there's, but yeah, there's a Robert Downey Jr. Like Why Razzies. do they keep making this movie? The, the character doesn't work. No one cares about a fucking guy who has sex with animals. <sighs> well, he talks to animals. I have sex with animals. <laughs> you no, broke Jay on that one. No, you broke Jay I got on him. <laughs> no, he just has sexual. God, um, it's a metaphor. Oh, how dare. Sometimes. The Robert Downey Jr. one is okay. him just in a green screen. And he, he, he just made a report that he said that's one of the, is the two films that he has to like reconsider about his life and career. Next is Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? Sidney Poitier's back again here. Uh, directed by uh, Stanley Kramer. Catherine uh, AJ. Hepburn. Catherine Hepburn's coming to dinner? Catherine Hepburn's the is the mom, right? Better. And, and yeah. uh, we said Spencer Tracy's the dad. Sidney Poitier, Spencer Tracy, uh, Bay Richards, yeah, that daughter. Uh, AJ, uh, thoughts on this one? Inspires Get Out. Uh, yes, really? yes, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. You know, oh, you never seen the film? Yeah, no, no. Oh, I could uh, totally see it. Bring this a. Girl of a lighter color is bringing this. Girl. I'm doing my Cindy Portier accent, but uh, it's not really working. So no, but uh, basically, this girl brings Cindy Portier home to her parents. They find out that he's colored, and uh, how do they just... find out by looking at him? Exactly. Yeah. They the open, door opens. Like, they were like, "Oh my gosh!" Yes, yeah. but um, no, actually, I think the film is really uh, it's it's um, 
I actually like the fact that it takes place in the house. I think that's really kind of brilliant because I feel like you see a lot of films or plays or whatever that are really hard to portray in one area setting. or yeah. setting. Yeah. You know, um, so I have an appreciation for that. The stage play to film. Like 12 Angry Men. Yeah, and it's very much a play in a sense. Like, yeah. it's literally like how yeah. they stage every oh, scene scenario. Cool. Yeah, so, uh, like the whale. Uh, but <laughs> Jay, you've seen? Guess yeah. coming to dinner? Yeah. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. Next we have Bonnie and Clyde. It took some, fired some shots off at Bonnie and Clyde uh, earlier. Uh, directed yeah. by Arthur Penn. Bored waitress Bonnie Parker falls in love with ex-con named Clyde Barrow, and together they start a violent crime spree through the country, stealing cars and robbing banks. On the AFI Top 100, stars Warren Beatty, Faye Dunaway, uh, also Gene Wilder, also Gene Hackman, uh, some stars in there, you know, and such. Other genes. Uh, I got the Gene Wilder. Got good Uh, genes. That movie has good genes. I didn't see it. AJ, you see Bonnie and Clyde? No, I'm the, no. I'm the lone Bonnie and Clyde guy, so it, so everyone's gonna get mad at me here. Uh, no, I, I like it. It's fine. It's a fine movie. I, I think it's overrated. Yeah. I, I just, you know, shot pretty well, and I love Gene Hackman and everything he does. I love Gene Wilder and everything he does. I think Warren Beatty's overrated. I love Faye Dunaway. Faye Dunaway's a goddess. She's amazing. Um, but I, yeah, I wanted more Bonnie and less Clyde. How about that? The Gene Wilder is dominant. Yes, everyone has a gene. Gene. Gene recessive. Everyone has a Gene Wilder. The Gene Kelly is recessive, so yes. like Grant has it, and you know Joey I got the has Gene it. Kelly. You have the Gene Kelly. Yeah, maybe oh, you're you the, have the Gene Kelly. Yeah, we finally have last one across the board here. It's the Graduate. We talked uh, a bit about it before. The Graduate. Already, this is one I've been telling you to see forever, yeah, just because the cinematography is to me it's some of the best cinematography you'll ever see in a film, uh, and the. Simon and Garfunkel score, good lord almighty. Is that maybe mean, the greatest? Really? Could possibly be the Movie greatest. Soundtrack? Yeah, like all the songs really? you know by Simon all and Garfunkel were written oh, for the film. Really? Like, yeah. Movie this is Robinson. This is written for... All right. Yeah. All right. So, uh, directed by Mike Nichols. <laughs> Have you seen it? Yes. Yeah, starring Dustin Hoffman, Anne Bancroft, Catherine Ross. Disillusioned college graduate finds himself torn between his older lover and her daughter. Yeah, great film. Stop it is a good. Winking at me. Every time I <laughs> Again, look at AJ, he winks at me. Like yeah, for for sure, for sure, a good problem to have. Uh, but uh, yeah, first world you? problems nonetheless. I think we put our great our graduate thoughts for another day. Well, I'm sure it'll be an episode we cover at some point somehow. Uh, but great film. Could have won. Could have won. That one could have won. Yes, yeah. that one could have won. I think in the heat of the night was the rightful winner personally. But True. Not a who should have won podcast. It's who did win, and it was in the heat. That's of right. <laughs> AJ. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Your, your debut you episode. How Appreciate do you feel? How, so how was the experience? It's a marathon. It's a marathon. It's a really yeah. incredible experience. I hope I get to do it with you guys again. You guys were all amazing and like knowledgeable, and I loved it. It's a I pleasure. Thank you. It was a pleasure for me. You, like you uh, did great for your first pod. Thank you. Like you guys crushed better than I did. So, you crushed uh, it. No, you guys. You did better than Artie's thirty first pod. Thirty first. Nineteen sixty one. You did better than my thirty first pod. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Artie hosting in the heat of the night. Watch it today for the first time. Talked Loved about it. it in the night. Just yeah, good Just, stuff. Honestly, it's a, it's 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 a hidden gem. It's really one of those best pictures that sh- that deserved it, and no one knows about it, and they should all see it. Yeah, I I had fat, no doubt you were material, gonna love this fat one. Material. <laughs> I had no doubt you were gonna love this one. It's, it's, but uh, Jay, I agree. We got to get the word out. We everybody's got to go mobilize and to their local libraries. Get and hot. Get this. Film get hot. And get in the heat it. of the night. Even if you've seen it, watch it again. Watch <laughs> it in the without the AC on. 
Yeah, that's right. Turn the AC off. Sleep in the heat of the night. That's how you got to do it. That's how Heeran does it. That's right. That's right. I sleep no AC, baby. <laughs> that's wild to me. That's I it. I sleep no AC. Let the heat ride. I wake up every two hours with my AC even like shudders. Okay. All right, so on to the last pleasure. segment. Where we thank you for keep, listening. Yeah, keep that heat up. We love you out there. Get the boiler on. We're going to have our rankings episode next. We're going to hash out all these movies. Where will in the heat of the night land against movies like The Deer Hunter, against movies like the greatest show on earth against movies like Lawrence of Arabia. Lots of stuff to talk about here. West Side Story. Can't, Plen- wait, to, can't wait to watch West Side Story again. Already you got a lot to work to do. AJ, turn us off with the, with the iconic line one last time for us. They call me Mr. Tips. Well done. All right, we will see you at the rankings, baby. In the heat of the night. I've got trouble wall to wall. Oh, yes, I can. I repeat, I repeat in the night. Must be an ending to it all. But hold on. Just you be strong And it'll be Share if I could turn back time. Oh, turn Stand back time. Like I mean, people, I mean, come on. Yeah. Classic. If I could turn back time. <laughs> oh, you sing too? Oh, <laughs> His impressions oh, are great. I'm in for a treat. We can, <laughs> we can break out uh, in song at any time. <laughs> yeah, it's very it's possible. True. Cinematography by Haskell. Just, yeah, drag that chair as much as you can, too. Just real rip it in there. <laughs> you know what I'm thinking of? Diane Warwick. There you go. Diane Warwick. Who, yeah, who's yes. kind of just okay. Yeah, she's yeah. in We Are the World, what War- you were thinking We of? Are the World. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. not who I'm like, not. Like, the other way. Yeah, no, not I am not praising her. <laughs> I was like, good God. Was Bob like, Dylan's like staring off to space. Like, where am I? How did I get here? How did I get here? We are the world. Oh, the people. Yes, we are children. <laughs> Where's my car? Wait, wait,